Hey, welcome to the 260th episode of The Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Actually, no movies this week, I don't think. A big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Currently talking about 1984's Fantastic Four, John Byrne, classic, classic, awesome Fantastic Four stories. I just, I love that. I talked about, uh, you know, some of the earlier issues before, you know, John Byrne issues, coming back to it. Just, that's how much I just adore that, that run. So, um, and also getting close to She-Hulk joining the team, which is very nice timing since the show is. So I also talk about movies sometimes on <laughs> the bonus podcast, but if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four. And that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. She-Hulk Attorney at Law is going to be this week's main feature because there is no theatrical movie. I didn't go to the movies. Although, no, I did go to the movie. I did. I went uh, over the weekend to see Back to the Future in a theater, which was awesome. I loved that movie. That is like my my comfort movie. There's also what else? The season finale of Westworld, which, uh, it, man, it just it kind of left me with a feeling. It was just weird. Everything. Uh, we have the the second half of the Sandman first season, and we have the first half of Lock and Key season three, and then um, Harley Quinn and comics and the news. So let's go through the news. Uh, not a whole lot of news. So I, I think well, maybe I missed some, but a uh, big thing, serious topic, Ezra Miller. So Ezra Miller has said that they are in treatment for complex mental health issues. They've said that, you know, they do want to get better. And I really, really, really hope that that, that is the, the truth, that that's, that's the case. I hate to feel it. It almost seems like, you know, because we, we saw how like Warner Brothers had some some contingency plans in case, you know, things didn't work. And, and one of them, they're like, OK, drastic things. We uh, drastic. We, we cancel Flashpoint and we just cut cut our losses, deal with it. And, you know, there, there's like other things and so forth. But what it comes down to is like if whether or not, you know, whatever Ezra Miller is going through, they have to realize that. If this, whatever these, your behavior, your actions, if this is threatening your job, I mean, he is a good actor. For, despite everything that we've seen with like all the stuff that's going on, he's he's done some good movies. You know, just saying the Flash, that's not not the best thing. Or even like the the Fantastic Beasts. You know, the, it, more you look look at his other movies. So he's throwing away. He could be like putting his career on the line because. Another studio might be like, whoa, you had this like multi-million dollar movie and they the studio just canned it because you were so untrustworthy or or whatever. So who's gonna want to hire him? And you know, other studios they probably have like insurance factors and they might be like, You can't hire this guy. We can't afford that risk if and just, just uh, like the negative press and everything like that. So I hope it's not I mean that that whether that's a driving factor, hopefully that's enough to help. But I really hope that they realize that yeah, there there is a problem. Maybe that they had time to reflect on this and realize 
we do need help. You know, we, we have to do this. And, and, you know, that, that goes for all of us that, you know, you, you can't be afraid to ask for help. And, and, you know, I could say that and, and yeah, it, it, it's, it's not easy. So we, we have that. So hopefully things will get, get better. Another it, Warner Brothers DC thing, Jordan Elsass, uh, he plays Jordan Kent on Superman and Lois. He is not coming back for the third season. And it's not really clear why. It, it just, I think it was said there was like personal reasons. And, you know, they have to start, I think they, they have to report back for, for production or something like that. And he wasn't going to be able to make it. So I don't really know what's going on. And I don't want to speculate that I, I hope it is nothing like mental health or other problems. You know, maybe it's just family obligations. You know, maybe it's like, sorry, I can't, I got to deal with this. You know, I, I can't commit to that. So it looks like they're going to have to recast. And, you know, you have to do what's best for everyone. And if this is what he needs and, you know, in the show, the show must go on type of thing. So hopefully everything's, you know, good because I, I really liked him in, in the show. You know, I, I thought he, he did a good job. Hopefully every, everything's good. Uh, the show is going to come back in 2023. You know, that's when they'll, they'll be ready to go. And we'll see. Netflix released a trailer for Wednesday. So Wednesday Adams. I, I'm looking forward to the show. I was never like a, a big Adams Family fan uh, with the, the live action movie. I don't even think I really saw any of the Adams Family movies because weren't there two of them? I think. Yeah, I know Christina Ricci played Wednesday Adam, and I just I never saw him because I was always Team Munsters versus Team Adams Family. But with with this, I'm I'm down to to check it out and give it a shot, and it, it looks good. And you know, she's going to be going to this Nevermore Academy, which is kind of good because if if you have too much like Adams Family mixed in with like normal people, things get a little absurd because like you see in a trailer there's like the swim teams making fun of her brother or had made fun of her brother. So she has like these two bags full of piranhas and she's going to drop in a pool. You kind of can't get away with that. And she can't get away with that. She gets expelled, you know, sending her to this like private school where I think her, her parents went to, or that's where they met. That gives more opportunity for other quote unquote strange things. So I, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with that. Um, what I'm also curious and scared is Hulu's Hellraiser. Uh, I really don't know what to expect, but Clive Barker is attached to it. I don't know if he's producing it or executive producing. So hopefully, it will be decent. And uh, you know, I, I'm. I don't know how you feel. You know, the fact that they're rebooting it and now Pinhead is female. My question is why. You know, it, and I, I get they want to mix things up and all that, and it's fine. You know, we had a female Cenobite. The female is literally her name. But what um, the reason I bring this up is it did get an R rating, as you would expect. I know a lot of times horror movies will try to shoot for a PG-13 rating in order to be available to a wider audience. I get that, but and I, I know I'm a strong proponent for you know PG-13 superhero movies. I don't necessarily think horror movies should be PG-13. There have been some good PG-13 horror movies. You know, you don't have to go crazy overboard with with gore and you don't need like all the sex and nudity and the violence can there's you know there's something about implied violence, you know, there, there's you can get away with a lot, but so it's going to be rated R for strong bloody horror violence and some language 
uh, throughout some sexual content and brief graphic nudity. I, I always feel like the nudity in a movie like this would be more disturbing than than sensual. So don't don't get your hopes up if that's what what you're you're after. And there's no release date for it. I thought it was supposed to come out by the end of like 2021, like that they had the strong, maybe they had to finish production because I thought there was something with the rights. If there's still going to be the HBO Max Hellraiser thing, I really hope that's still going to happen. And Clive Barker is like a executive producer. I think he's executive producer in that one. So hopefully that will still happen. Speaking of HBO Max, this, uh, this was actually came out like last week, this news. There's rumor that Titans and Doom Patrol might not be coming back that they could be and end up getting canceled and i'm sure it's you know it's come if if the new ceo whatever wants to focus more on movie stuff they may have to say let's you know let's pull back on the the tv stuff because i'm sure these shows aren't cheap to make and, and then it's just a matter of like how much are they getting out of it you know are people subscribing to hbo max for titans or doom patrol i'm sure some people are but they may be trying to balance like what is their returns versus like what they're putting in. So I don't know. I, I hope they do come back because the sh- shows may not be perfect. I, I really dig Doom Patrol, but I, I enjoy Titans as well. So I'd like to see another season. Fingers crossed. Good news for me, uh, Lord of the Rings, the Ring of Power Amazon's not going to drop all episodes at once. I was afraid that they were going to try to do that like they did with Paper Girls, but they are going to do a double episode, sort of. I kind of like how they're doing this. I, I think this is good. I'm, I strongly, I will, I will go on and on and on, and I know it's probably annoying. I think there's a huge benefit to having shows drop weekly. So they're actually going to drop the first episode on Thursday, September 1st, and then the second episode will come out on Friday, September 2nd. And then it's going to come out weekly until the final episode on October 14th. So I really think that there is a, a big benefit to that because you get people to talk. Is anyone talking about Paper Girls now? I don't think so because you know everyone either watched it or didn't watch it or I'll watch it later. So I really think that when you have the week by week, like Westworld you know, that, that people are going to talk about it or like She-Hulk, like, you know, who, who's going to be the big guest star is if there's a guest star next week, I don't know. Versus if all of them drop now, I would have to try to talk about them this week. And then that would be it. I like that they're doing that, especially, you know, I, I feel like something like this and, and I, I totally respect, you know, people who like just a binging experience, but I, I feel like something like this, you, know, you just want to be able to watch and just digest it all and, and think about it. And, and then you stop it and then just, just process it. And, and I know there's always an opportunity where, you know, you can do that anyways, but I like that it kind of forces people, you know, we don't have to be in such a hurry to, to get through everything. Some comic news, uh, Mark Silvestri, I, I don't remember hearing about this before. Maybe I just forgot about it, but there's Batman and Joker, the deadly duo. So I think that's cool. I, I, I'm a fan of Mark Silvestri's art. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing what, what's going to happen here. I didn't want to read too much into it because I just want to enjoy it. And, you know, maybe once I started reading it, I'd be like, oh, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm down for it. I will definitely will read that and, and talk about it. And then uh, the last bit of news looks like <laughs> some more Garfield stuff. So, you know, Garfield, Chris Pratt is voicing Garfield. And there's already been mentioned of Samuel Jackson voicing 
or being in it. I, I think it's just a voice. But now Ving Rhames is going to be in, in the movie. And again, I'm assuming all these are, are voice actors. Nicholas Holt, who's, who's a good actor, you know, also Beast in the Exo movies, and, and he was in uh, Mad Max and other stuff. Uh, so, and there's like a couple other women. I didn't recognize the names, but the the concern for me is, you know, these these should be voice actors. You know, voice actors do a great job, and don't take don't take their work away from them. So we'll see. Um, and I, I like I said, I, I guess that's it for the news. I mean, if I miss something, I'll I'll try to pick it up next week. All right, with comic books at Image. Uh, there was a comic, 20th Century Men. It's a six-issue miniseries. It's by Dennis Camp and S. Morian. The synopsis is, at the end of the 20th century, superheroes, geniuses, madmen, and activists rush towards World War III. A Soviet, quote-unquote, iron hero, a super-powered American president, an insane cyborg soldier, an Afghan woman hell-bent on building a better life for her people, these strange yet familiar beings collide in a story that mixes history, politics, and comic book mythology into something totally new. Welcome to 20th Century Men, where the edges of our reality and fiction touch, overlap, and then explode. So if you think about all that, sounds pretty cool, right? I mean, I, I definitely I, I thought that that was interesting. My problem is, as I was reading it, it seemed kind of heavy. It was, I think it was like an oversized first issue. It did kind of feel like a history thing, and there was a lot of stuff. And then as I'm reading this, you know, maybe I just wasn't in the the mindset to give it 100% of my attention. But then I'm like, just wait, what's going on? This is going just. It just felt like it was going, and I I kind of fell out of it. I feel bad about that because, like I said, it sounds cool. I just I couldn't get it, and and maybe it's just a matter. Maybe I need to try to go back and read it before the second issue comes out, just to you know give it another shot. You might dig it more than I did. So I, I, I'm not dismissing it at all, but it, you know, it, it was interesting, but yeah, something just didn't grab me at the time when I was reading it. Bloodstained Teeth, number five. So I'm, I'm in digging this. This is uh, by Christian Ward and Patrick Reynolds. Uh, it's the end of a story arc. So what I've liked about this is our main dude is this vampire, and he's been turning people into vampires, which they call sips. If you turn someone in, because you're not you're not a first blood. The, this first blood council, they're mad at this this vampire uh, because he should he's not supposed to be doing this. Uh, you know he's been turning people into vampires for money, and he's just like he doesn't care. It's like you want to be a vampire, just you know give me ten thousand or whatever he's charging. So he's been tasked. With, he has to kill all the people he's turned into vampires, or they're, they're going to end him. And, you know, it's not necessarily easy. And then he's going after, in this issue, he's going after his actor who has caught wind of what he's doing and has, you know, some other uh, people assisting him as well. So it, things get a little messy and, and so forth. So it's it's an interesting. So if this is the end of the story, arc, the, the trade will probably come out. So if you haven't read it, I, I, I do recommend reading it. It's, it's cool because it's a vampire story, but it does feel a little different than, the million other vampire stories we had before. So it's, it's, it's a nice change of pace. The complete cyber force hard, or there's a hardcover and trade both came out this, this week. So this is like everything, I guess it's the hardcover is only 49 99. So, so that, that's, that's pretty cool. And then it looks like a trade paperback also came out, which is 29 99. It just brings me back to nostalgia and, 
I can't wait to read these. I, I mean, actually, I, I take that. I would love to just be able to sit and read it. I don't know when I'll be able to read it, but I, I'm, I'm glad that they put this out. Uh, hmm, there's a crossover 3D special. I didn't check that out, so I don't really know anything. I can't really talk about that. And then um, Last Shadowhawk, number one. I was a little confused with this, and maybe because I, I'm not... You know, I, I did start reading Shadowhawk when it first came out, but then... I don't know when I stopped reading and I don't know like how many other stories there's been over the years, but this sort of snap says in a not too distant future, the world will be just as it is today. Only worse. Evil has permeated the very fabric of society from the halls of the government to the darkened alleyways. Will the heroes who once defended the downtrodden fail them now? Will a new generation rise inspired by the last of the old who will be the last Shadowhawk? So I was reading this, and um, the first of all, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I felt as I was trying to get through, figure out what was going on, and then it kind of felt like the story ended like right away. And I'm not really sure what was going. You know, there's been some, there were some mentions like past stuff, and and I wasn't really sure what was going on because I guess I haven't read all the Shadowhawk comics and everything like that. So I don't know. I mean, but it's it's Philip Tan art, and I, I love Philip Tan's awesome. So. You know, if, if you've read Shadowhawk before, or are curious, and, and I think this is just a one shot, so I, I don't really know if it's just like anniversary, you know, because it's images with 30th anniversary, right? Uh, yeah, so that one was just a little weird for me. And then uh, there's Seven Sons issue three. This this comic is it gets me a little stressed out. So you know there is these seven sons. They're supposed to be like these messiahs and everything like that. But then there's like all these anti-Christian whatever religion group that are like trying to assassinate them because you know with with them back, a lot of people have accepted that this is a true religion. And you know they're they're not making. They never stated that other religions aren't allowed, but like no one's attending their services and all this stuff and. Yeah, it's just, you know, and then these these young men that are left, the, you know, they don't want to be locked up in this, you know, building out, you know, want to try to get out, but that's not a good idea. So it's just, there's a lot of, yeah, stuff that, that happens there, and it's it's just kind of weird. Uh, then there's uh, the silver coin issue 13. This this was a disturbing issue as, as well. It's set, like, on uh, New Year's Eve 1999. There's this woman who is pregnant like you know we see her like in july with her boyfriend you know when they first find out but then it cuts to like um december 31st and there's like stuff going on and you know she's only seven months pregnant at that point but then there's like just some darkness happens and she's you know trying to call from a payphone and whatever and then she ends up getting the silver coin so that's going to lead to some things she sees like this weird vision of, of of this monstrous baby and she's like is that my baby and it's just yeah, and it, and then she kind of goes into premature labor, and it's just, uh, yeah, it's just just pretty dark and gruesome, and um, but that's what what this comic is supposed to be about. So, so if you, you I mean, it's it's a great series, and, and don't let that turn you off because it, it is it's it's really good. At DC, there was Batman One Bad Day to Riddler, so this is by Tom King and Mitch Gerards. This was a. Oh, I don't know how what how I feel about this. It, it was a it was a good Riddler story. 
part of me, I haven't read anything about this whole one bad day initiative or crossover or what, you know, all the stuff that's going on. So I don't know, you know, my, what's my big question? Is this in continuity or, or not? Uh, so this is like, it's like over 60 pages, you know, there, there's a lot going on here, but the, the thing is there's some, some, some big and, and kind of final things that happen and, and that really kind of changes things because, you know, Riddler, he really kind of gets the, the upper hand and it's like, you kind of, once you establish these certain things, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to, to backpedal. And some of the things, it's not like anything that we haven't seen before. You know, it, it's a, a, there is a, this thing that I'm being cagey about is something that, that was brought up before. And then they, they did find a way to reverse it. But basically, you know, we, we see Riddler, it starts off, he, he kills some like random person and he doesn't do like a, a riddle or anything like that. You know, he, you see him on camera and he wants to talk to Batman, but Batman's like, whatever. He's like, I'm not going to give in. And, and then Riddler, because, you know, Riddler, what, what's nice about this is, you know, Riddler often is, is written as a buffoon, you know, but sometimes he, it, it comes out that he is pretty intelligent, you know, really super intelligent, actually. So here it really comes down, you know, they really showcase that. And, you know, because of his knowledge and everything like that, he he's like threatening other people like other like officers and their families and so it's just like this is where things start like escalating it's like well what are you going to do with them because you know you can say yeah we're going to lock you up he, he's going to find a way to escape and it's not like you can just kill him will batman finally just kill him no, no he shouldn't do it. but so it's just uh yeah and then i don't know the the end is i'll just say that there's a little vagueness at the end um there's some stuff that's implied, and I don't know. Maybe it's it's super obvious, but maybe I'm not making it obvious that I'm questioning it. I don't know. I'd like to talk to someone who actually read this to see what what they think. Flash seven eighty five. So this is kind of wrapping up the search for Barry Allen. Um, I will say, up oh, they found Barry Allen, and sneakily, this is kind of tying into the world without a Justice League. So like what we saw with the the John Stewart comic last week, where this like fake world was created to kind of distract the heroes. So Barry Allen has been alive in this like fake world thinking he's being the flash and being a hero and all this stuff. But then they're like, well, you need to come home. Spoiler. And then he's like, Oh, I got to, you know, save the rest of the justice league. So, you know, his story's not over yet. So it's going to continue into the um, dark crisis. Is that what it is? I think. Uh, yeah. Nightwing 95. Things are getting messy here. You know, uh, Blockbuster is trying to take over Gotham. He's not happy with Dick Grayson. He's not happy with Nightwing. Uh, he's discovered that Nightwing's sister she is actually working with him. So now she's in trouble. Maggie Sawyer has been brought in because a police commissioner was revealed to be evil. You know, he he got busted. But things, I, I'm, I can't say I love what happens on the last page. It's just one of those things that I really have an issue with. And um, yeah, so we'll talk about it next week or next month. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, I hope there's a way out of this, but I, I, I don't know. Um, I didn't read Harley Quinn 20 this week, you know, continue from the, the moon mission thing or whatever. DC versus vampire all out war. So this is like the, the kind of 
spinoff or not really spinoff but like the side story where they're trying to find the lazarus pit because lazarus pit might be able to cure vampire vampirism and uh we see mary marvel which is a lot of a lot of cool you know stuff with her and um i also i think there is a if i remember correctly there's also a, a dick grayson story like backup story which is kind of like before this whole like vampire war thing started so some some interesting things there um then there is Dark Crisis, Young Justice, number three. This was an okay series. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. I, I love seeing Tim, uh, Robin, Impulse, and, and Connor back together. And, you know, we had Cassie Sandsmark, Wonder Girl. But the, the fact that they were, like, in this fake world, like, they're trying to be distracted and all this stuff like that. And But it, it, it I, I think that my problem with it is just kind of, like, their interaction with each other because some of them are, like, under the influence of this, you know, false reality stuff. But... It, like I said, I, I think the main thing is I, I love seeing these characters together, and I don't understand why we don't have Young Justice. You know, Brian Michael Bendis's Young Justice, I really, really enjoyed that that series. Loved it way more than what he was doing on Superman, and the main reason I like Superman is because of the whole Clark Kent secret identity thing. But I, I, it's just weird that it just ended, because I would love to see these characters together, and there's so much fun, but we don't get that. Catwoman 46, you know, she's still continuing her war against the underworld. And, you know, there, there's uh, the stuff with Black Mask. You know, he's just really has problems. He's just like so unhinged. So uh, Catwoman's trying to decide what she's going to do. And, you know, maybe she's going to take a break from, from Gotham. But, you know, and she has her allies, but, you know, she has to be careful. You know, it's because it's not really safe for the allies to know. They're not really, it's not a beneficial relationship. And, and then there's some other stuff like, well, what about, selena's personal life and so it's 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 good stuff black adam three um i I, my problem with this is i don't love black adam so you know i'm trying to read this this series focused on him and it's weird because the whole thing is like so he was dying and then he's going to bestow his stuff on he discovers that he has an ancestor like in a present day so he's gonna you know tries giving his power to this new person which i don't want to give anything away but so that's going to be the end of, of Black Adam. But I think if I remember correctly, because I know I commented about it, but I think the first issue said this takes place before the world without a Justice League or whatever. So obviously Black Adam is going to be fine if that's the case. And it, it's kind of annoying. But there's some some weird stuff going on here. So it, it, I'm intrigued, even though I don't love Black Adam. Okay, then there's Batman the Night issue eight. And what I realized as I opened this issue up, I ended up not reading. How did I not read this issue? So this this is Chip Zdarsky, Carmine D. Jandio Menico. Yeah, so Bruce is in Rio de Janeiro. Man, so I, I'm enjoying this series. Oh, jeez, I did. I thought I finished all the DC comics. I didn't. Uh, Batman Superman World's Finest issue 6 I'll have to talk about that next week and Aquaman and the Flash Void Song issue 3 I've been okay with that series I'm curious to see how it's going to end but I'm, I, I don't look part of it is just Aquaman is just kind of being like a big jerk and I don't know anyways let's move over to Marvel um, Axe A-X-E Death to the Mutants number 1 I just was struggling with this. It's all this stuff with the Eternals. You know, you have this group of Eternals trying to wipe out the mutants. and But the, there's also the fact that Eternals 
are affecting humans too. And so, yeah, I didn't, yeah. and they're trying to like reawaken, a, you know, the centennial or sentinel, not centennial, not sentinel, the celestial God, whatever. See, I can't even think about it. Um, then there is Avengers 1000 or 1 million BC issue one. And as I saw this, I was like, you know, looking at a Marvel app, I was like, wait, is this a reprint or is this new? It's the secret origin of Thor revealed. They are the defenders of the dawn of time, Marvel's first and mightiest legacy heroes, but their greatest secrets have never been revealed until now. Witness the dark events that shatter their ranks, see how their lives come to shape the entire future of the Marvel Universe, and be there for the monumental event that reunites them one last time, the true story of Thor's birth. So I was reading this, and I, I, I don't love the 1 million BC Avengers. And it, it just... It just feels too forced. Like, oh, we're forcing, cramming this into continuity. These characters were together. Because I, I remember, like, 19, there was a Avengers 1955, which was supposed to be the, the first Avengers. You know, not not the Captain America, or not Captain America, the Iron Man, Giant Man, you know, Hulk, Thor. But now they're saying that this is the first. It's just like, whatever. And then the stuff with, with uh, Thor's real story, I read it, but I'm just maybe again. Maybe it was I was just reading it too late. I think that's what it was. It was I was reading it. I was like getting super tired from trying to read everything, and there's stuff. So like Mother Gaia there, and but it's like wait, is is she Thor's mom? Is Phoenix Thor's mom? Who is Thor's mom? And yes, yeah, there's some weird stuff going on there. <laughs> I, I can't really answer fully. Captain Marvel issue forty. So this is dealing with Carol Danvers. You know, she's kind of like on this trial for because she harmed a person of magic, uh, Enchantress's future son, which is just stupid because he doesn't exist yet. So she's kind of being forced to relive the scenario. And it's like, she's not really fully aware of what's going on. And, and yeah. So, but like, uh, Scarlet, Witch is there magic's there. Brother voodoo is there. Um, Agatha Harkness and, you know, Enchantress is, you know, she wants Carol to pay. And so it's just, uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, I, I, I love the series, but I'm this whole magic thing is just not really doing it for me. Because I don't agree with the, the fact, like the, 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 the accusation or whatever against her. Daredevil issue two. So this has been interesting. You know, this dude from that, that Matt Murdock has known since college, you know, he knows his identity and he's causing all these things to happen. And he says that he's been kind of sort of guiding things along, kind of pulling the strings, forcing things to happen. And, and then there's a whole thing, what happened to the Kristen Duffy, you know, cause there's this train explosion that he caused. And so it's just all kind of weird what's, what's going on and how, you know, he's basically saying that he pushed Matt and the lecture together and, yeah, so you should, it's it's it, I love the Daredevil series. I mean, Chip Zdarsky is doing a great job. Edge of the Spider Verse issue two. I hate to say it, I'm I'm not loving this because just like with the first issue, it's just it's more uh, just random. You know, just stories about the different characters and yeah, it's just it's just not not really doing it for me. You know, there was a, a Gwen and the Mary Jane story, but even that. I, I can't say that, that I loved um, the spider and the dragon, a single, uh, uh, so there, there's this new character that we're introduced to. The only thing I loved about this is there's a mini Marvels 
by Chris G. Russo. Oh, also there's a, a Chris G. Russo mini Marvels in Daredevil. So we got two mini Marvels this week, which was awesome. I mean, that was maybe like the highlight of comics for me this week. I love mini Marvels comics. So this Edge of Spider-Verse, I don't know. And, you know, a lot of it's leading up to well, there's going to be some big event drawing everyone together. So we're getting the story of these new characters or reminding or updates on characters. But I don't know. Hulk issue eight. Uh, this is like the conclusion between Hulk and Thor. Continuity, whatever, stretching things out, you know, because they're fighting now. And we know Thor is doing other things and whatever. But um, this, this was all right. I'm, I'm okay with this. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I won't give anything away here. And then there's Iron Cat issue three. I, I'm enjoying this. I don't like the, the this. So who is Iron Cat? Iron Cat is like someone from Felicia's past. She has this big grudge against Felicia. I I don't really care for that. I you know it's it's a bit much, but that's how things. You know, you need a, a villain has to have their motive and, and stuff like that. So it's interesting and everything. But I I love Jed McKay's writing and I love i i'm so thankful that we keep getting these black cat stories it's almost like they just keep doing arcs or, or mini series rather than just keeping it a continued ongoing series okay whatever fine just make sure to keep coming okay then there was ms marvel and moon knight issue one obviously this is a really weird pairing and i was a little concerned it's like okay how is this gonna Come across. I love both characters. I mean, I have, you know, 100%. I want to, I want to mention that. But it, they, they don't seem like the type of characters that you would expect to see together. Ms. Marvel is a little more lighthearted, more fun, or whatever. Moon Knight is definitely more serious. So it's like, are they going to kind of tone, you know, how's it? They, Jody Hauser did a great job, like merging the two. It really worked. So this kind of continues from, I think it was last week's Ms. Marvel and Wolverine or Ms. Marvel and X Men. I forget which, what it was. And uh, Ms. Marvel and Wolverine. And there's these like little robot bug things that are attacked. So she's kind of, she's figured out that like, oh, this must be connected to Moon Knight. Because, you know, she got, she, she actually, she got information for social media. And she's like, wow, this is actually faster than actual, you know, superhero, whatever, information things. So she's like, she makes her way to the, the Midnight Mission where, where Moon Knight does his business or whatever and you know she was a little nervous because she had heard rumors and everything it was a it was just it was a really really good uh reaction at first i was like whoa is moon knight going to be like like kind of high and mighty jerk because you know here's this this kid superhero or whatever and but he was 100 percent respectful and and they were got along and but then he's also he's like serious like as we're investigating one thing he's like this late old woman had, had come before talking about like this dude like pushing drugs on a corner and she's worried because her grandson you know lived on the street and while he had a good head on his shoulder she's worried about other impressionable kids so as they're going to this one place he's like i gotta make a, a, a detour first and he's dealing with some stuff and she's like wow type of thing so it was a, it was a really good mix and uh we had that the other fist of Kanchu dude that has been in the the recent um, I forget well, what his name is. Um, I don't. I, I still haven't decided what I think of him. He feels he's a true Fistakanchu, uh, that guy. But they're definitely this. This was very true to, to, to Jed McKay's Moon Knight series. So it, it was. It was really a lot of fun. And it's the story's not over. There's more going on. Uh, so you, you definitely want to keep keep reading these. 
Moon Knight 20 or New Mutants 28. This was a uh, I I kind of like this. There is a lot of stuff with Limbo. I'm not the <laughs> I'm not the biggest Limbo fan. I love Magic. I, I think Magic is is a great character, and I really feel for like her, you know getting kidnapped as a child and basically growing up in hell. You know, with Belasco and then Sim. I cannot stand Sim, and we're not supposed to like him. But just all all the stuff going on and. You know, magic has kind of, she's like, I'm splitting myself too much. You know, I'm supposed to be the ruler of Limbo, but I'm also the leader of the New Mutants. I'm also like the, the war war captain, or I forget what, what she's called, you know, for Krakoa and all this. Somehow they decided, Madeline Pryor, she's going to be the ruler of, of Limbo because she wants to do it. And so why not? And, you know, give second chances or all that. I don't know if, if she can be trusted. She seems like she can be trusted in, in this, you know, with stuff that's going on. Uh, Madeline and and Eliana and uh, Moonstar and Colossus. Colossus was was brought there, and I think Reigns there. They've you know spent a little bit of time in limbo as they're trying to figure out what's going on because time passes differently and all that. So it seems like Madeline is is being true. Like Eliana's even like been trying to teach her like other magical like spells and stuff like that. But we also know that Madeline is supposed to be teaming up with Chasm. Ben Riley's new alter ego or whatever. So I, I don't know. Uh, maybe that's going to happen before because if she's a ruler of Limbo, she can't be hanging around Manhattan or whatever. Because I don't know. We'll see. But uh, this kind of closes, uh, you know, th- this chapter of it. So it, it was good. And and there's also some closure between Ileana and Peter Pitor because you know things have been a little t- tense between them so it, it was good all around and of course rod Re- reese you know does most of the art so that, that was good there's like some flashback art too so um by jan dutusema so it was a good issue savage avengers issue four i haven't really been reading this because i just i'm not a big conan fan and in the beginning with the you know the, the last volume of savage avengers it was kind of a novelty. It's like, oh, here's Conan dealing with with these guys. So you know, it was it was fun and all that. You know, it, it just it, it was it was fun, but it's like Conan. You know, Conan with Wolverine and with uh, who else was he with? Uh, Doctor Strange and uh, I think Electro, right? Yeah. So it, it was good, but now it's like, okay, we still have Conan because I thought Conan went back. And it's interesting. So I haven't been reading the last couple issues because it's a lot of the, the Conan stuff or whatever. But I really want to read this. And, and now I feel like I, I should go back and start because re- I've always been intrigued with Deathlock. We're, we're getting a lot. My, my hesitation with Deathlock is we have a lot of like some weird Deathlock stuff going on with, with Jason Aaron's Avengers. But I'm assuming that's different. We also have Elektra here, like Daredevil Elektra. So it seems I should give this a chance, but I haven't been. So if you're reading it, let me know what you think of it, because I, I should probably go back and read those issues. Then we had Star Wars number 26. This I, I enjoyed this issue as, as well. Uh, Charles Soule did a really, really great job. Uh, the rebels they go on this little mission against the empire, and you know, so they're trying to you know make a stand, and so that that was kind of cool. And then we we see a couple people, a couple imperials, they're working in like this top secret facility location. There's something going on, you know, it's a super secrecy or whatever. And but it turns out that they're actually working like with for Quira for the the Red Dawn and everything like that. 
then we find out like where they're working and what this could like be leading to. So it was a really cool to see like this other angle because they're working for the empire, but they're not like bad people. And you know, that that's something that's always interesting is like, well, what does this mean when like the death star blows up or the second death star, you know, when you got people that are, they're not, not everyone necessarily is evil. Some people, maybe they don't have a choice, you know? So it, it's kind of interesting to look at like the, the other side and some, kind of sub, not they're not necessarily civilian people but non regular actor character people so I, I thought that that was pretty cool we also had, you know there's i'm also interested with the whole thing with with luke and his golden lightsaber thing that he that he like found or acquired it's you know something's got to happen where he's going to lose it he's got to lose it somehow or, or maybe you know once he builds his own then he's like okay i don't need this but i'm really curious to see like how long is he going to keep this one um, Star Wars Mandalorian issue two came out. I didn't read this because you know if it's just adapting the the show, that's cool and all. I just don't feel like, I, I don't know. I mean, unless they're gonna like add stuff and flesh out like in between scenes a little more. I don't know, just w- w- looking at the first issue, I, I it didn't feel like something I need to read since I've already watched the, the, the show and you know like some episodes I've watched a couple times. So we'll see. I mean, maybe if it starts. Fleshing things out more, maybe I'll check it out. But I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just kind of on the fence with that. Strange issue five. I'm really digging this. I, I'm not a huge fan of Doctor Strange being dead, obviously, because I, I hate comic book you know characters their, their deaths. But I really like Clea. I, and I, I was never really, I would not, never call myself a Clea fan before. I just never really considered her about anything. But seeing her here, she's like she's. I would. I almost. I was gonna say she's vicious. She's not really vicious, but she's. She just does what needs to be done. I mean, she's just like tough as nails or whatever. And and I just love that she's stepping in. You know, she's gonna be a source of supreme because Doctor Strange was her husband and and all that stuff. But you know, she's determined. She wants him back. People come back from the dead all the time, so why can't he? And and then there's this uh, blasphemy cartel who's like targeting magic, you know, little magic people or whatever. And she's like fighting against them. And then her mom's in town, and her mom is her mom is vicious. <laughs> so there's there's some some cool things here. And then uh, there's a interesting um, revelation at the end, which I am not gonna spoil here. Like the thought with the, the harvest man, it's like what is what is his deal? So, yeah, that's going to be interesting there. Then we had uh, X-Force issue 30. This this was okay. There's It was a, one of those Judgment Day crossovers. And they're, they're, they're a little, like, coy about it, you know, sneaky. And there's stuff with Wolverine. There's a lot of stuff with, with Omega Red. Um, it's it's actually interesting. Like the opening pages, there's I was like, who's this hunter dude? Who is this? And it's Craven the Hunter. It's like, what? And, and then there's stuff with Omega Red and Omega Red and Deadpool teaming up, and you can imagine how that's going to go. So there's some some interesting things there. And then why is Craven there? I don't know about that. Basically, I, I think he's he's going to decide that he wants to hunt mutants because yeah, we'll see. But that 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 doesn't mean anything. It's not like it's not like I'm going to hunt. Uh, tigers or giraffes you know where you there have everything's kind of same if you say i'm going to hunt mutants that is so such there's such diversity in the different abilities and you know i don't know uh we had x-men 92 house of whatever 92 i'm not reading that there's x-men 13 
I like this issue, but again, this is another Judgment Day crossover. This was more of a crossover than, than the other one because, you know, we're seeing there's actually like like Icarus is here and, and you know, they're, they're dealing with different things and trying to figure out where they stand. And, you know, Icarus is like, I'll work with you guys, but you can't kill any Eternals. And he's he doesn't he can't say why, because, you know, the thing is, if an Eternal dies, they're brought back to life at the cost of a human, a human, random human being's life is taken in order to give that life force or essence, whatever, to the eternal, to bring them back. So once they discovered this, they're like, holy crap, this is horrible. You know, we, we can't just let innocent humans die or whatever. So when Icarus is saying, yeah, I'll help you fight these evil deviants or wh whoever who are, you know, targeting mutants, he... He like says that you can't kill Eternals. And the reason he's saying that because he doesn't want humans to die and innocent people to die. But it almost sounds like he's saying you can't kill my people. But so there, there's interesting bits with that. Uh, and then there's um, X-Men Unlimited, X-Men Green. I didn't read this. This was um, I think this was originally on, on Marvel Unlimited. I, I don't I could be wrong with that. But it's it's written by Jerry Duggan. This was the last one I actually started to read it, but then I, I didn't finish it. And then I was like, I got to record the podcast. So I'm um, looking at the characters like on the covers, like, I don't know, but it's Jerry Duggan. So I, I definitely think I should check that out. So again, let me know if you read that. And with that, that is going to be comics for the week. All right. With Westworld season four, episode eight, que sera, sera. This is the season finale. And man i just i don't know it's I'll, I'll talk about it at at the end it's just it's crazy how things end and it's it's no idea what's gonna happen next and that's that's part of the, the charm of the show it's like they they kind of keep doing this not necessarily like resetting each time but it's like what the heck is gonna happen so we see you know after all the, the humans everyone infected you know con killing each other whatever so there's just bodies in the streets just like vehicles fires and stuff like that flies there's like this fly flying around trying to you know landing in different bodies like probably trying to find someone to infect but everyone's dead then we see rebus he's what season two maybe i think he was in there but he he's like on guard he's he's like bloody he has a bat and this lady comes up i don't think she was anyone i didn't recognize her but she's like what's going on whatever and he's like the humans started killing everyone with without any dialogue and she's like is it a new storyline and he's like if it is hale has a lot more sense of humor than i gave her credit for he or she wants to call for like an evac or something like that and, he, and he's like oh this is awesome because you know he's enjoying it he's like i just want to take them all out he's, she's like there's millions of them and he's like well stick with me it's like you have no uh, you know no idea how how many of these flush bags he's murdered or something like that but then whoosh, he gets hit from behind it's like an axe axe to the back of the head and then the lady starts running and then she gets shot and she's dead. So it's just like, <laughs> they, so they, 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 they bring back Rebus and then he's dead. And this lady's like, okay, she's going to run out. She gets, gets shot. There's more fighting. And you see that the, the dude that with the ax, he's looks like this like banker dude or something like that. He's keeps moving around, whatever. So it's like, okay, he, he killed Rebus. He's here. He goes, he gets shot by this lady. <laughs> and, and then she gets shot by this kid with a sniper rifle. And it's so he um, <laughs> he he goes out, you know, he whatever uh, he 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 grabs a lady's knife and, and the guy's keys. You know, he's got this big truck or whatever like that. You know, he's got the, the gun over his shoulder, the rifle. Then he gets shot. 
by host man in black by William. William calls him a camper. He's like, you know, the rules winner takes all <laughs> shoots him, takes him out, you know, make sure he's dead, takes his rifle, his sniper rifle, his keys gets in a truck at the tower. So the tower's still standing. There's some, like some black smoke coming from like the, the top Hale's office or whatever. And we see Hale's floating in the water, like in the, the fountain at, at the base. It's got the bullet wound in her head. And uh, the, one of the I, what do they call the white host? This the, the plain white host. You know, they, one grabs her, flings her over her shoulder to take her, heal her head, starts reviving her, and then she's like, "Make me stronger. Leave my scars. I want to remember my past. Keep my face. When I find William, I want him to know it was me who killed him." So she's kind of like in this uh, black commando outfit now, or something like that. And as soon as she's got these gloves on, like you know, black leather gloves, but just like they're not gloves over. It's like that's her whole skin. There's like because you can see like the mechanics underneath. They just put it on whatever. So then uh, she asks to be shown what he's done. So she you know goes up top, and then the the the, the droning sequence is still going on. Then she's like override tone, but then she finds out she's been locked out. So she's like, he's made everyone as insane as himself. It's like, they'll destroy everything in her path. So then a host picks up the tablet with like Bernard's recording because his, his like face is still on his, the video he made. So then she plays it. If you're seeing this, it means Maeve and I are dead. Because at first I was like, did he leave this for himself if he comes back? But it actually he didn't. So then he can see. So it means Maeve and I are dead. And it won't be long before you and every other host on this planet are dead as well. So I guess that wouldn't make sense if it was him. This isn't the world you wanted, Charlotte. So we didn't hear that part before. But the world you created. The question is, what happens next? Then we see Christina uh, and Teddy. They're like, they reach her neighborhood. She, They go inside. She looks out her window. And then she's like, everyone out there is real except me? I'm just a program run from behind the scenes, a machine without a body. And Teddy says that their bodies never define them. And, you know, she is real because her thoughts are real. The effects that she could have on this world is real. So she points to the drawing on the maze on her balcony and asks if he remembers that. Then she's like, you know, what's it mean? And he, he's like, it's a map of consciousness. He's like, it woke, it woke Dolores once long ago. So then she thinks back to when she first saw it. She was in a room. She hears like a, like a flower pot crash like out in her balcony. And then she asks if he left it to wake her once again. And Teddy's like, it must have been someone else. So then she wonders who, if she was supposed to be there all alone. Then she says there were others who recognize her. And, and Teddy wonders if Hale put them there to make her, you know, make it feel more like reality. And she's like, no, it was someone else. It's like someone that, sh that she's been missing. So, you know, like the good and the bad, because they're like just with her, her roommate, Maya, like she has like the white shoes and the black shoes. She's like, pick one. So maybe that's supposed to be like good and bad or something like that. So um, then she's thinking about like decisions she's made, you know, wanting to write a new story about a girl who's searching. When she finds the things she's searching for, everyone will, will make sense. Then she realizes that she left the maze. So Hale didn't design Maya and Peter. She did. Some part of her must have been searching. So she made herself a friend because she needed to wake herself up to see what this world really is to understand what she's capable of. So she was too afraid to face it uh, all until Teddy came along and then they're like, Oh, they start smooching. <laughs> Hale um, continues Bernard's message. There's time for only one more game, but it isn't yours. I hope you can accept that. And she like breaks the tablets. You know, she's mad. 
So there must there was like other parts of the recording that we didn't see just yet, I guess. She walks to the center to like the computer map and she starts like stomping her foot, like boom, boom. And then um as Christine and Teddy are smooching, their their surroundings start to flicker with like each stop. And then they finally notice and see that reality is kind of fuzzy, kind of like almost looks like a painting, or like I forget what not not Van Gogh, Monet. Maybe more like Monet, maybe, but it's it's kind of like fuzzy or pixelated or whatever. So then Hale finally makes a, a hole in the floor, and then there's like some like machinery underneath there. And Teddy tells Christina that she's coming for them, so to take them out of the system because they're alone. Christina says, "Well, she can't take this away. This is her world." And then like everything turns black. So it's like, "Oh yeah." So Hale, there's like kind of like a little cradle thing. So she takes like this black or silver ball that was like sitting on there, and she puts it in a backpack. She walks out of the tower. So the tone is continuing throughout the city. Stubbs, Caleb, and C, or Frankie, whatever, C, Frankie, um, they, they keep walking. So Caleb's like helping her. Whatever. They like stop in this alley because he wants her to catch her breath. And she's like, we have to keep going. She's like, Odina can't hold the boat forever. And Caleb's hands start like kind of shaking a little bit and Stubbs sees it. So he's like, can I get a quick word alone? So, you know, so you know, C's catching her breath and Stubbs like says that he's worried that they're not going to make it in time. And Caleb's like, oh, she's tough. And Stubbs like, that's I'm not talking about her. And he looks at Caleb's hand. He says the old Delos experience they never took. The, the body always rejected the mind. And Caleb says that he told her that they, they'd make it to the boat. And Stubbs asks, like, does she even know what's happening to you? And he says that he hasn't been there for her her entire life to protect her. So the least he can do is protect her from this. Hale's walking the streets now. She's disappointed. You can tell she's like disappointed like with what William's done. This dude gets up to like attack her from behind, whatever. And she just like whoosh, stabs him without even looking. She makes it to Olympiad Entertainment. And then she sees a... Uh, she goes like underneath. She sees the dead real human William. And she's like, oh, you finally got what you deserved. And then Clementine comes up and says that, you know, she, that Kale brought William back to keep as a pet and she was wrong. Hale says that that's why she's going to take him down. So she's like, I could use your help. Clementine says, of course, you know, she feels she was designed from this. And she's like, you said you were making a world where we could be free. Did you mean that? And Hale's like, yes. And, you know, she mentions that William has turned a world into a violent video game, the host William. So it won't be long until even she's hunted down. Clementine said, well, there are pockets in this world where he won't be able to find her. You know, there's places, you know, so far off the map that even Hale couldn't reach them. And Hale's like, oh, do you mean the outliers? And then, you know, that's basically what Clementine's talking about. And then she leaves. So Charlotte goes to the computer to see where host William is. And she's going to slow him down. So she looks like, are there any other hosts in the area? And there's like four others. So she's going to send them like after him. William's driving in a truck that he, he stole, that he, he acquired. Then he starts getting shot at by two, two dudes with like uh, machine guns. The truck crashes like off the into a tree on the side of the road. It's two knuckleheads. They they start walking up, woo, and then they like start shooting at the car and everything. You can't see him. Like was he knocked out? No, he's hiding. And then uh, so he he shoots them, takes them out, takes the glasses of one, and he's able to like they're like tech glasses or something like that because he can see Charlotte. You know she's not. He sees like a holo Charlotte sitting there, and he asks her if she likes what he did with the place and she says that he turned her world into a game and he's like it was already a game i just cranked it to expert level it's like survival of the fittest for everyone on the planet she mentions that you know he wants violent the, the violence to spread to the next world and 
and so she knows that he wants to go to the sublime and you know she says that she won't let him destroy their world like he did this one and he says that it's like oh you're joining the game so he's delighted she says we'll see you at the finish line and so we see she's like in a like a one of those drone plane things you know, flying somewhere William looks at the smash truck, so he's like kind of bummed about that. But then, of course, conveniently, there's a couple horses in this little pen, like off the side of the road, like right there. Stubbs, Caleb, and C, they go into this like grocery store, kind of like barricade the door. Uh, so Caleb's going to kind of like mend her, her leg wound where she got shot. Then she kind of notices that his hand's shaking. He's like, oh, nothing's wrong. And C says that, you know, he, she's like, you can ask. And he's like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? She's like, you can ask about mom. And then she whispers, cancer. And she's like, it wouldn't have mattered if you made it back. She hung in there for as long as she could. You know, She had a mission. So everyone who woke up and wasn't infected and got out, they owe that to mom. And he, he like threads a needle or something like that. You know, his hand's kind of shaking a little bit, but he manages to get it through there. Pours like disinfected on her leg. And it's like, burning. he gave her like some, something to like some whiskey or something to drink too. He starts sewing and she's like, oh, you're horrible at sewing, whatever. Then we, there's this dude outside He's like checking, you know, like open doors, whatever. There's this one that's like open. There's like a foot sticking in door. So he goes in there. He's got like this little like machine gun. Caleb, as he's sewing, he starts humming a song. And she's like, oh, I recognize that. She's like, and so he used to sing it to her. So it's K Sara Sara, which is the name of the episode. The dude from outside, the biker dude, he makes it into the store. And then he's like walking around with the gun. And then Stubbs, you know, starts fighting him. And, you know, dis- after disarming him, the biker dude's like, oh, if I don't kill you, someone else will. And then, you know, Stubbs like, oh, yeah. And then he gets shot in the back by Clementine. And she's like, he's right. And then so she shoots the biker dude. And then she grabs Stubbs' face, jams it like onto this sharp piece of shelving, like right in the eye. So he's gone, just like Bernard said. Then she's like walking through the store. She sees like this bigger knife, like in this little case, like display. So she takes it and she's looking for Caleb and C. She finds where they're sitting, like the bandages. And there's like this trail of blood. And then she sees C just sitting on the floor. C's like, what did you do to Stubbs? Clementine's like, oh, you should be more worried about yourself. C pulls out a gun and tells her to stay away. And Clementine like puts her hands up. You know, she's still holding a knife. She's like, how many rounds do you have in that? Two? One? And when she says one, she's like, has her middle finger up. You don't have any left, do you? And then click. And she's like, guess not. She's like, what do you want? And Clementine says, the location to where you and your little outlier friends are fleeing. She says that you know, she watched a video of her escape with her father. She keeps tracking him, but she doesn't think he's going to make it all the way. She knows that they're going somewhere off the grid where the deranged humans can't find them. And she wants to go there, too. She's like, I'll die before I tell you. And Clementine's like, no, you'll die after you tell me. And she's like, won't say anything. Have it your way. Raises a knife. She's about to strike. And then Caleb comes. Clementine whips him around and like shoves him against the wall. Oh, how sweet. A family reunion. Caleb says, she's like, we don't have to fight. And, you know, she's like, or she says, like, you know, consider personal preference. She's like slashing, but he's ducking. And, you know, he's not in the best shape because, you know, with the shaking, his body deteriorating, whatever. He like shoves her back. She must be playing with him. You know, he's ducking, but he's like not gaining any ground on her. And she's like, oh, it's impressive. You made it this far. Your predecessors would be falling apart by now. So then she, you know, he's down on a, she like shoves him against like a, like a freezer, drink freezer thing. So he's just like kind of sitting there, he puts a knife down. She kind of like cradling his head. So she's about to snap his neck and sees like, you were wrong. I had one bullet left. 
shoots her like right in dead center to forehead. And Caleb's like, nice shot. And she's like, my dad taught me. So it was, it was nice. <laughs> Hale, you know, she's looking at the, the silver ball in her hand while she's still flying. You know, what is she going to do with this? Christina standing at, uh, she stands at a bench and, and this like field shows up and Maya's there. And she's like, you're nowhere. Unplugged from the rest of the world. Christina says that she's alone again in the walled garden. Maya says that she's scared, so she brought her back. Christina says that the world is gone and everyone is dying, so she thinks it might be her fault. My then Maya starts talking about you know because there's a tree. She's like people you know people see a tree and they think they know what it's all about, but like underground everything's connected and working together. So there's like violence and casa everywhere. You can choose to focus on all that on, on you know all that you see, but if you sit and focus long enough, you'll sense an ancient order, a deep peace. That's what she chooses to see. The beauty in the world and christina's like yes i know the feeling that we see william he's on a horse riding out the desert he arrives at the the hoover dam and we see like the, the sublime is still open like you know kind of cracked in, in there then he starts walking through that tunnel charlotte arrives in the flying drone william's inside the control room starts closing all the turbine valves and there's like you know alarm starts going off hails out start outside here's like electricity crackling everything as she walks through the control room so warning critical failure alert hale walks up and says that you know she created him from her own code together they rule the world but he's grown corrupted so he's as broken as a man that he's killed and he's like who the fudge you think you're talking to so he's like, William's body may be decaying, but he didn't die. You know, his ways live. She says that he's, it's like, you've infected him. You know, the host, uh, Man in Black, William, says that he didn't have to infect him because living in a body pre pretending to be him, he was a better William than he was. He's like, William didn't die. He evolved. I am William. And she's like, no, you're not. Well, if you can't tell the difference, it doesn't matter. She raises her gun and he like knocks it away. And he moves to stab her with this long knife, but he can't penetrate her torso. You've changed. And she's like, you're not the only one who's evolved. So she gives him a big kick. He kind of goes flying, shoots, but it like hits his shoulder. And then he like, when he gets up, she's like gone already by the time he gets up. Then he's like, why keep it safe all these years? And she says that it opened from both sides. So she thought that if she made the perfect world here, that they would come back like out of the sublime. He says that any world created by hosts is as fudged up as this one. Then she says that he has no way of knowing that. And he's like, of course I do. She gave all her hosts free reign to do whatever they wanted to do here. And what pastime did they choose? Hunting and killing humans. He's like, they're as fudged up as her creators. So it's time to wipe the slate clean. And she's like, is that your end gold extinction? He's like, shoots him, hits him in his other like shoulders like that. They're shooting each other. Then outside, she um, hits his hip, but then she's out of ammo. So she starts heading towards a tunnel. And remember this tunnel? Because remember what I kept talking about? It's like, why did Bernard leave that, that gun there? You know, second time, he like the second scenario we saw. Host Men in Black says Bernard made Dolores. They all wanted freedom, but she wanted more, transcendence. So she played all the, the wrong game, and now it's time to lose. And she's like, this isn't the world that she wanted. So then it cuts back to her listening to Bernard's message. Question is, what happens next? Life on Earth is a fire that consumes itself. It's too late now. We burned ourselves to the ground. This world holds no more hope for us, but there's still hope for the next world. A test run by her if she chooses to. If you choose to give her that choice, you can't miss. Reach with your left hand. So 
Man in Black shoots Hale a couple times, and then you know she falls, but to her knees, she's you know protected, but you know so she's not like really wounded. She lays there and says, "We are playing a game, but it doesn't end here." He's like, "What are you talking about?" And then she's like, "A test, a test run by her if she chooses to. If I choose to give her a chance." And then we see the flicker like Bernard leaving the gun behind the pipe in the tunnel. So, and it's and she reaches and I do pew, 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 shoots him in the leg, shoots him in the other leg. I choose to give her a chance. Pew, shoots him in the head. I hope she takes it. Then she takes William's knife and it kind of cuts away. She's walking away with his pearl. She's holding his hand cracks into dust. And then the camera pans back. We see his head's like chopped open and empty. Then we see Caleb and C. They reach a dock. Odina is in the boat. So they hug. They smooch. C. introduces Odina to her dad. And they shake hands. Then um, uh, C. and Odina get on the boat. But Caleb stays on the dock. And his eyes are teary. And she's like, come on. Get on the boat. And he's like, this is as far as I go. So Dina's like looking. So she's like, okay. So she leaves them alone. C. gets back off. She's like, don't talk like that. He's like, you have more fight in you than that. And he's like, sweetheart, I wish I did. And she's like, you're dying, aren't you? And this is the part that, that kind of gets me. He's like, Frankie, your father died long ago. Whatever I am, I've died before this. And she's like, I just found you. I don't want to lose you again. He's like, it's okay. Here it comes. I got to live every parent's greatest dream. I got to see my child grow up. <laughs> as, soon, as soon as I watch that, I like text my daughter. <laughs> and then she's like, I love you, dad. He's like, I love you, cookie. And they hug. So then we see the the sublime kind of shimmer. Alarm goes off. Charlotte goes to controls, opens a turbine. She takes her her pouch and she takes the, like the black pearl. She puts it in his holder, and she's like, "Goodbye, Dolores. I've made my choice. Now it's time to make yours." And you see on the screen the control says like the storyteller, and it's transferring. Then she's like, "Okay, Bernard, let's finish what you started." And outside you see the shimmer like is like closing. Then it fades to black. Then we see the city starts to return. Christina says, we're not alone anymore. So she's with Teddy. We're somewhere new. I think we're in the sublime with the other host. Teddy says that she saved them. And she's like, not me, a version of me. But I can only do it because you came back. You're my greatest love. So she says that talking to him helps her see things clearly. And he's like, you're my cor cornerstone. And she's like, and you're mine. She's like, I carry you everywhere I go. Every detail of you i cherish and she's like which is how i was able to bring you back like this and he kind of thinks about that and he then he looks down at his hand and it's like kind of glowing so he's not real and it's like this pixel shimmer kind of washes over him i'm not here am i and she has like a tear go down her face so we then we see her wake up with him, that the one point where she wakes up in bed and he's sitting at the foot of, of her bed and he's like bad dream and she's like this whole thing seems like a bad dream except you but then the camera pans back and it's not teddy sitting there it's actually dolores you know blonde dolores because christina has kind of like reddish hair throughout this season so then she's back to her like blondish goldish hair with and her blue western dress or whatever christina's like why are you here and dolores is like i'm here to tell you the truth about what we are Christine's like, what are we? Dolores gets up, sits next to her. We're reflections of the people who made us. So then she's back with Teddy. So she's, Teddy is real and he's out there somewhere in the sublime. But you, you're just my memory of him. He says that her whole life 
the the memory of him has haunted her so he's like let the pain go let your memories go let the humans go don't bring the flaws of their kind into our world and she's like maybe you're right i've watched people in in you know their world for years or whatever watch people in the world i've seen the best of them and the worst of them and i remember it all and teddy's like they're not like them you know their code is written in their cells that they'll never change and you know the humans and she says that they could still see and he's like how so she's like one final test a game of my own making a dangerous game so teddy's like how will you do it she sighs the same way i brought you back i'll remember and then teddy fades she goes back into her apartment fade to black not over yet so we see like bodies in the street christina walks out but she's in dolores's dress so she's got the her dark hair with the blue dress so christina's narrating this world is a graveyard of stories hosts and humans were given the gift of intelligent life we see the the, the boat with uh, odina and c starts to drive off um c and kayla are kind of like staring at each other as the boat's going away dolores continues and we used it to usher in our own annihilation c turns around and tear falls on her face and kayla just stands there watching a few may escape death for a few months maybe even years but ultimately, their kind will go extinct. They will only live as long as the last creature who remembers them. And that creature is me. So we see Hale walks away from the dam. She starts peeling off her like armor suit, like skin. And then she's sitting on the shore. And so like her, her exoskeleton body circuits, whatever, are showing there. So it's just kind of like her head and like, like her neck area. And she, she almost kind of smiles as she's sitting there. And then her face like opens up. And then she takes her pearl out. So she's holding it in her hand. Crushes it, turns to dust. Christina continues, Sentient life on Earth has ended. But some part of it might still be preserved. In another world, my world, there's time for one last game. A dangerous game with the highest of stakes. Survival or extinction. This game ends where it began. In a world like a maze that tests who we are that reveals what we are to become and she looks at the lights of the city you know she's like in times square you know there's a billboards or whatever everything around her and then the buildings kind of turn red and then disappear now Dolores stands like out in the west and christina's like one last loop around the bend so we see a train coming piano music people are standing by the train station Dolores walks down the street because you know she's got the blonde hair again or whatever fade to black and then you hear maybe this time we'll set ourselves free and that's the end of the season i'm i know that's not the end of the show i'm like almost positive there's at least one more season if not more it's just it's like at each season they just they tear everything apart and then start over so it's just like what i mean we're back to westworld you know she's created that and it's, it's like is this the whole world what what does this even mean and and maybe other people with more insight on the show are aware because I still feel like I, I should rewatch it. Like maybe in a downtime, if I, if I had time, I feel like I should just rewatch it. Like just, just like watch it all just to get a better grasp. Cause I still feel like there's parts, pieces that I'm like kind of missing. And I, I'm a part of it also, I think is because the seasons were spread out and I don't know. And maybe because I, I think when I was watching the first season, I was, you know, as I was watching it later, I wasn't 100% invested in it until you see at the end a big twist. I'm like, what the whole, what the crap? And then that's when I started like really getting into it. And then the seconds, yes. Yeah. So anyways, 
so that was a season finale and it was a it was nuts so um yeah i I don't know what more to say about that it it was it's it's such a crazy ride i mean that's the only way i can describe it okay then with sandman so we're at season one episode six so last week you did one through five so episode six the sound of her wings so we see um this was a i really like this episode uh i don't know maybe this is might be my favorite one i don't know we see Dream sitting at a park bench feeding pigeons and, you know, kids, like kids or like teens or they're playing soccer, uh, football, whatever. Uh, you hear like, heads up, and Dream like catches a ball, like that almost hits him in the head without looking. And then Death comes and sits next to him. And I got to say, you know, I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, you're casting a Death or whatever, you know. She was, she was great. She nailed the role. She was amazing. So naysayers poo-pooing poo-poo yourself so death sits next to him and she's like oh what's wrong you're moping and he he finally admits that you know something's wrong you know whatever he he doesn't he he says something's the matter but he doesn't know what because when they captured him he just had one thought vengeance and it wasn't as satisfying as he thought Meanwhile, his kingdom was falling apart and his tools were stolen and scattered. He embarked to retrieve them, which he did. And he's like, he's now more powerful than he's been in eons. And yet, you know, until then, he had a true quest, a purpose. Then it was over and he felt disappointed. He felt let down. He felt empty. He was sure that once he got everything back, he'd feel better. But now he feels nothing. And then she's like, you could have called me. He says that he didn't want to worry her. And she's like, I'm only going to say this once. You are utterly the stupidest, most centered, pathetic excuse for an anthropomorphic personification on this or any other plane. She says that, you know, he's feeling sorry for himself because his little game is over and he doesn't have the balls to go out and do, you know, to find a new one. She says that she's like, you're as bad as desire. No, you're worse. She's like, did it ever occur to you that I would be worried about you? And he's like, I didn't think you exactly. You didn't think. And then there's another heads up and death catches the ball without looking. He agrees. And then he starts walking with her as they go to leave. The footballer dude comes up. He asks death. He's like, Oh, will we be seeing, you know, well, I'd be seeing you again. And she's like, sure, Franklin, you'll see me again. And he's like, seriously. And she's like, yeah, soon. She tosses the ball back to him. And then he's like, well, I need your number. And then he, uh, he t- turns around. He's like, wait, how'd you know my name? But they're gone. So they're walking like down the street and you know, she gets an apple from a street vendor and he's like, no, I'm good, whatever. And then, oh, but then he's like, oh, you know, you're, you're good with them, with humans. And she asks if he's talked to any of the others since he's returned, you know, she's like, we, you know, we did have one dinner. They hear some music, you know, coming from a flat. He's like, oh, I know this piece. She's like, I haven't heard in 200 years. So they go up, there's old dude like playing the violin and then they just like walk in and death's like oh no no keep playing so the guy's he's says his name's harry whatever he he can't because the composer never finished it so he introduces himself and she's like yeah i know who you are and she's like do you know who i am and he looks at her and he's like not yet please she's like it's time he's like but there's something i have to say he prays in hebrew and then she takes his hand he says he's like oh i'm glad i you know i said that he's like my, my dad said that it would guarantee you'd go to heaven if you believe in heaven then he sees himself sitting in a chair and he's like, oh, I look so old, so empty. So, you know, he's dead. Now what? She's like, now you find out you know, if there's a heaven. They continue to walk. Dream tells her when he was captured, it was her that they were looking for. And she's like, yeah, I know. 
then um, she takes her boots off to feel the bare earth. And this dude comes out of this lake and she's like, hi, Sam. And he's like, do I know you? Then he, he's like, wait, he realizes. Then he's like, can I talk to my wife for just a second? It's like all her flight information is on my phone. And, you know, I want to give her the passcode. She's like, because we're on our honeymoon. And she's like, I'm sorry, Sam. She's like, time's up. And then his wife gets up and calls out to like, like Sam, a couple of people drag him out of the water. She goes running, screaming to him. And that's it. So dreams like, how do you do it? You know, you're there for, you know, how are you there for all of them? And she's like, well, I have a job to do. And, and I do it. When the first living thing existed, she was there. And when the last living thing dies, she'll put the chairs up on a table, turn out the lights and lock the universe behind her when she leaves. So she's not, there for all of them, you know, there are exceptions, you know, Mad Hetty and their, his ongoing project. And he's like, who? He's like, Hob Gadling? You know, she's like, how is he? He says that he doesn't know. He was forced to miss her last appointment. And she's, she's like, he'd probably be happy to see you. But she says that, you know, they're not usually happy to see her. She used to think that she had the hardest job in her family. And he's like, oh, really? And she says they, they fear the sunless lands, yet every night they enter dreams realm without fear. He says, yet he is far more terrible than she. You know, it was interesting in the beginning. It was new. At one point, she thought about walking out. You know, she learned that sometimes all they need is a kind face. They go into this other house and when they see this lady, she puts her baby in the, like little, little cradle or whatever. She goes to get like a, a bottle or something like that. And then death walks over, picks the baby up and dreams just like watching then the lady comes out, so like her baby dies. It's like it's horrible. Dream wonders about humanity. You know, she's like, "Why do they fear the sunless lands?" You know, it's as natural to die as it is to, to be born. She says people may not be ready for her gift, but when but they get it anyways. They go to this lady in the hospital. Um, there's this dude that was like shot in an alley. They walk in this field by this tent. There's this lady lying there, and she's like, "At the end, each of us stands alone." The sunless lands are far away and the journey is hard. Most of us will be glad for the company of a friend. And then she says, you know, it's funny looking back now. You know, she used to think she had to do this all by herself. But at the end, she's there with them. So she's holding their hand and they're holding hers. So she's not alone when she's doing her job. And she's like, neither are you. It's like the only reason that we exist, the, the whole family, is to serve them. It isn't about quest or finding purpose outside their function. Their purpose is their function. So when she figured that out, she realized she needs them as much as they need her. So then they're back at the park from the beginning. And she says that she has to head back soon. And Dream says that she's taught him something that he had forgotten. So he thanks her. Then she's like, yeah, one last appointment. Then I have to go. So this guy runs after the ball. You hear a card like screech thud you know whatever then dreams like he's like oh i'm late for an appointment too then franklin comes up he's like did you see that he's like i came this close to getting hit and she's like really she's like come with me it's like i want to show you something and then she says bye to dream and they walk over to his body so um franklin got hit by the car and that is like like issue eight of sandman it's like that that kind of similar parts of this so Dream goes over to like this boarded up housing, whatever. Then we get a flashback. So we see Dream with like longer hair. Death's there. It's 1389. So he's not happy. He's like moping or whatever. He doesn't see the purpose of meeting them. So they enter this tavern. She tells them to listen to the people. Then this guy mentions he's he's like, he's like, I've been dead, whatever. 
Earth. Like he's like, death is stupid. He's like, no one has to die. He's like, the only reason people die is because everyone does it. So this is Hob, the, the what he mentioned before. He says that he's made up his mind. He's not going to die. And a dream whispers, why would any sensible creature crave an eternity of this? And she's like, you could find out. Grant him his wish. Dream says he'd be begging for death within a century. And she says that this will prove very interesting. So Dream goes up to him, talks to him about his intentions of never dying. And he says that he must tell him what it's like. He's like, let us meet here again, Robert Gadling, in this tavern of the White Horse in 100 years. And then man, men at the table kind of laugh. And Gadling's like, oh, don't mind them. He's like, 100 years in this day? I'll see you in 1489 then. Then it cuts to 1489. And then Hobbes like, how did you know? I'd still be here. He's like, who are you? A wizard? A saint? A demon? Have I, have I made a bargain with the devil? And he's like, no. Then Dream says that he's there because he's interested in his experience. He's like, you know, live your life as you choose. On this day, every hundred years, you'll tell me what it's like. And he says that he's like, it's fudging brilliant. Things are changing. There's chimneys, you know, there's cloth pieces for your nose, you know, there's playing cards. And he's so he's been like soldiering. He's been banditing, you know, being a bandit, whatever. And then now he's a uh, he's taken up uh, printing and dreams like, so you still want to live then? Then it cuts to 1589. So then he's like, oh, it's Sir Robert Gedling now. So he's dressed fancy, has this big spread for them. He talks about all the gold that he's earned, the land that he's bought. He has a son now. There's this like other guy sitting, whatever, you know, Dream listens to his conversation like across the way. And Gedling is, who's that? Um, or he asks Gadling who's that so he says it's Will Shaxbird he he acts a bit he wrote this play but he's not that good so Dream excuses himself to go talk to Will and you know he, he says that he writes great plays in his dreams or something like that so Dream like wasn't really interested in what Gadling had to say with you know all his money and everything like that then it cuts to 1689 there's talks of plagues fires flood Dream is sitting waiting at a table then there's this commotion. So the guy tells you like, oh, go be outside with the rest of your filth. And Dream's like, let him be. He's my guest. So now we see Gadling isn't doing so well. And he like chows down on the food that's like that Dream has on the table. He says that he lost it all. All his land, his gold, his wife. She died in childbirth. The baby died too. His other boy died in a tavern brawl when he was 20. And he didn't you know go out much after that. They tried um, drowning him as a witch. Then it got worse and worse and worse he hated every second of the last 80 years and then dreams like do you still wish to live and he's like are you crazy he's like death is a mugs game he's like i have so much to live for and as they're, they're talking there's someone like drawing a picture of them sitting at the table 1789 gadling's doing better uh the woman with the picture is shown you know where they're sitting gadling is is in shipping now he talks about taking cotton to africa and they pack people in like sardines dreams like it's poor taste to enslave another and he suggested he finds a new line of work gadling's like oh you're giving me advice now after 400 years he's like what about live your life as you choose dreams like he's like the choice is yours he's like would you take that choice away from others so gadling's like well i'll, I'll consider your advice then they, they talk about William Shakespeare, and he says that there's still so much about him that he doesn't know about, about Dream. And then the lady comes down, and she's got like these two dudes with her, and she's like, they're paid to slit throats. So there's word of their meeting every hundred years. So she is Lady Joanna Constantine. So this is the Joanna Constantine that we saw in what, the second episode, third episode. This is her ancestor who Dream knew. 
so Gadling gets up. He takes out the the two dudes. He takes them down or whatever. Then uh, Constantine holds a knife up to him. And Dream gets up and he's like, wait. Then he blows some sand at her and her eyes go white. And she like falls to her, her knees. Dream says that she has old ghosts that he's shown her or something like that. Then it's like 1889. Uh, Gadling wants to know how Dream knows so much about everyone. And you know he doesn't think that Dream means to seek death he thinks that he's really seeking friendship he's he's like i think you're lonely dreams like you dare dare suggest one such as i might need your companionship and gadling's like yes yes i do dream stands up he's like he's like i take leave he's like i shall take leave and prove you wrong or something like that so gadling runs out after him he's like well i'll be here in a hundred years and if you're here too that means that you want friends no other reason right now think about that. So that was 1889. In 1989, he's Gadling goes to the pub. He has a beer. Then two, he's waiting. So this is why while Dream is in prison, has a glass of wine. You know, orders a whiskey. Tells the bartender he thinks he's been stood up. He's like, uh, they had a fight last time they were there. Bartender's like, well, I've seen plenty of fights, and you know, people always make up. Gadling says, well, maybe in another hundred years. The bartender's like, well, you have to find a new pub. This place has been sold to make room for new flats. He's like, the bureau council is trying to stop them, but... And then we see Dream is locked in a sphere. So then it's the present day. Dream is, you know, standing out. The, the place is, like, all, you know, everything boarded up. But there's, like, spray paint on the fence, like, surrounding it. It says, the new inn. And there's, like, like an, an arrow. So he heads over there. He sees this new pub. He finds Gadling. Gadling's like kind of like yeah I think he's like writing or doing something. And he smiles. He's like you're late, and dreams like it seems I owe you an apology. I've always heard it impolite to keep one's friends waiting. And he sits down, and then we see Desire in her gallery. She's like I am in my gallery holding your sigil, and she says that like our brother found their way out of his cage. And he's like our plan has failed, but I have a new one. So what we don't know is which sibling was desire talking to and that's the end of the sixth episode episode seven it's a dollhouse so we see like dream is looking at rose walker's diary then it cuts to 2015 cape kennedy florida um so we see rose is going to new brunswick um then her dad's like in this other room she's arguing with her mom that her brother can't go but rose like he's doing it out of spite and you know because I guess mom only has shared custody, so she can't take her brother or something like that. And then, you know, so Jed's a little kid, and he starts crying. Then we see Desire is talking to Sister Despair. Despair says that, you know, she's always ready to listen. But so there, there's one who's still missing. They, they mention that. So I don't know if it's destiny or destruction. I forget. They talk about Dream freeing himself. Despair says that, you know, whatever the new scheme is, it won't work. Desire says that there's a Dream Vortex. And, you know, so she has no idea what she is. And you know she brings everything and ever, everyone to her, including Morpheus, and her name is Rose Walker. So then it's now 2021. So it's 2015 when we first saw Rose. 2021, New Brunswick, New Jersey. So she's on the phone. She's trying to find her brother because he was placed in foster care. She found a picture from before the divorce. So he's probably seven years old. Um, she's hoping to hire a private investigator and have her mother's estate pay for it. So her mother's dead. But apparently there's no money left because she spent it all in an apartment that Rose is living in. But this foundation some wants to fly Rose out to London and give her a 250 pound per diem per day for seven days to like interview her or something like that. 
And so, you know, she's talking to her friend Lyda, Lyda Hall, because I guess she was a friend of her mom's or something like that as well. So then Abel's talking to Lucine about the Vortex, and she thinks that the Vortex is just a silly rumor because everyone's talking about it. We see Dream's Palace is rebuilt. Lucien has completed a census and accounted for 11,062 people, but there are some new entities, but three of the major arcana are gone. So the first is Galt, a nightmare um, that she never trusted. Dream says that she's a shape changer. He's like, who else? Lucien's like, the Corinthian. And he's like, I assumed as much. He's like, in the last one, Lucien says, Fiddler's Green. So if you read the comic, you know all about that. He says, like, oh, it's my fault. And then she said, there are also rumors of a... You know, the dream folk are talking about a vortex. And he's like, oh, rumors are quite true. You know, it's the first of this era. So Lucien's like, it must be controlled. And he's like, it's a she. And the endless are forbidden to act upon any mortal who is not an active threat. She is an annulet. So then Rose and Lyda arrive at a house in Sussex, England. Uh, Mr. She, and I think Rose had a dream about something about that because she heard like the annulet. So uh, this dude, Mr. Holloway, greets them. He said that the place is for the elderly, whatever his client is a resident. They're taken to a room. Her name is uh, Unity Kincaid, who we saw in episode one when the, the sleep took everyone over. But that was in 1916. So it was like over 100 years ago. In her room, there's this dollhouse um, that was like in a room when she was a little girl. Rose comments how it looks brand new. And Unity says that she didn't really get a chance to play with it. It was a gift for her 12th birthday. But that night she fell asleep and didn't wake up until eight months ago. In her dream, she had the most glorious life. She took over her father's business. She met a man with golden eyes. That's going to come up later. And they had a baby. It wasn't until she woke up that she found out that none of it was real except for the baby. So she had a baby girl while she was asleep in the hospital. And they hushed it, but Mr. Holloway found out that she was adopted out to a fine family. She grew up to have a daughter of her own called Miranda, Miranda Walker, your mother. So she's like, I'm your great-grandmother. Is that right? I feel like there's someone missing there. She thought that if she explained it like over the phone that she wouldn't come, whatever. And Rose just goes up to her and hugs her. And Lyda, she's like, oh, I'll let you catch up. You know, she, They're like, no, you can stay. Whatever. Then it cuts to Huntsville, Alabama. Three people meet as part of this planning committee. They need this other big name since the family man is out. People have already bought tickets. And the lady's like, who's the one person they all would pay to see? And they all say, the Corinthian. So this is, uh, if you've read the comics or listened to Audible, this is the serial um, convention, which is a really serial killer convention, which is why they, they mentioned the Corinthian. So the dude's like, you know, he's been reaching out to him, but there's been no response. And um, she has some photos of his work that he recently did in, in D.C. They admire what he does to the eyes. So they're like, what if we do a, like a copycat crime to get his attention? So then uh, the Corinthian shows up at Rose Walker's place in New Brunswick, um, but she's not there. The three uh, are like talk to Rose in this room. She's at a crossroads that they can only warn her. They can't protect her. You know, beware dreams and houses. And if she asks the right questions, you know, then they could have warned her about the Corinthian. And then Lyda turns on the light. She's like, what are you doing? Because she's like standing in this utility closet at the place. And then the three are gone. Lyda and Rose tell Unity that when Rose's mom got sick, Lyda and Hector kind of adopted her. And Lyda's like, well, actually, Rose kind of adopted us. So Unity wants to send Hector a ticket to come out. But Lyda's like, oh, he he passed a year ago. And you know, she's like, oh, it's okay. It was an accident. You know, someone ran a red light. Unity um, wants to help find her brother. She's like, I have money. 
And she also wants to give Rose a ring that her mother gave her. And she's like, it's a gold amulet. And she's like, huh. She's like, that's that's the word that I heard in my dream or whatever. So then we see the Corinthian and Kevin. Rose, He's uh, house-sitting uh, Rose's house. They got cozy, quote-unquote cozy, if you know what I'm talking about. And then uh, Corinthian gets an alert about Corinthian striking at a diner. So he then he he's gonna he gets up to leave. He tells Kevin to tell Rose to call him. Lucian's in a library reading about Rose and her family. Merv um, Pumpkinhead comes in, asks if the news of the vortex is true. You know, Morpheus is gonna send a Matthew to watch over her in the real world or something like that. So Matthew ends up going to Cape Kennedy, Florida. So she gets she arrives at this house. She's greeted by this guy Hal Carter. That is right. Yeah. So it's basically like a, a B and B or something like that. There's like other people living there. Uh, there's this uh, couple there, Ken and Barbie, and they like, yeah, you know. Um, so they live there to the downstairs neighbors for now because they're looking for their own place. There's these two ladies, and they're like, oh, sorry about your mother's death, because I guess Hal apparently told he he's a big gossip, and they're and they also know about Lida's husband dying. So that's Chantel and Zelda. They're they wear black only one talks they don't no one knows if they're sisters or mother and daughter you know lovers they live upstairs across the hall from rose um then there's mention of gilbert who lives in the attic room and they don't he doesn't come out very often so rose and Lida go to talk to the foster lady but by law she can't give out information about jed she says but if she wants to leave a note for jed's parents rose like they're not his parents so the foster lady says that if she told her where her brother was then what it's like, you know, she's like, well, I'd see him, tell him about mom and ask how he is. And the lady's like, well, what if he says he'd want to live with his foster, you know, parents? What if he wants to live with her? Are you prepared to raise a 12-year-old boy by yourself at your age? She's 21. She's like, do you have a job? Do you have health care? She's like, no. The lady's like, if it helps, Jed's fosters were friends of your, of your dad's. They go back to the house. You know, they ask how it was. They go out for drinks. Um, uh, Hal does like this show where he's like a man and a woman or whatever and then uh, she goes out in the alley to take a call these two dudes threaten her and then this other guy comes with like small glasses long coat and a cane he comes to help whatever so that's gilbert so they, they take care of the two guys matthew tells lucian what happens and she mentions that she can't find rose's brother in the dreaming for some reason corinthian shows up and wants to talk to the three planners he agrees to come to their convention but he wants to bring a guest and he says the guest's name is the vortex Morpheus mentions that he can't find Jed. He's like, to disconnect from the dreaming would require deep knowledge. Lucian says that the, the last nightmare Jed Walker had before he disappeared was of Galt. So she thinks Galt severed him from dreaming um, because he, you know he's not just any child. He's Rose Walker's brother. And then you hear, excuse me, I'm Rose Walker. What do you know about, about my brother Jed? So somehow she's in a palace. And we see Jed is like running down a road he flags down his car yelling for help and then he recognizes it's he's like aunt clarice and she's like what are you doing here and he's like uncle barnaby said that he was gonna lock me in the cellar he's like i didn't do anything he hates me and he's like we have to both get out of here and and then this car pulls up and it's barnaby so it's it's actually her husband so that's the foster parents then he's like what the heck is going on here and clarice is like oh i found him and he's like i'm bringing him home and barnaby's like no he's coming with me and then he goes to the back, he opens a trunk, and Clarice is like, no. Then he's like, do you want to get in with him? He takes a shotgun out of the trunk. Jed gets in and he closes it. That's the end of the seventh episode. 
Okay, then season one, episode eight, playing house. Dream tells Rose that she's welcome there, and she's like, who are you? Lucian tells her she somehow dreamed her way into Lord Morpheus's palace, King of Dreams, and she wants Rose to go. He says that she can stay. She asks, you know, what is this place? He says it's a dreaming, the place where people come when they sleep, and he said that, uh, or she said that she heard them talking about her brother, so she's like, is he here? And Dream's like, no. He thinks that he might be with one of his missing nightmares, and he thinks it might have something to do with Rose, because he tells her that she's a dream vortex. Once every few thousand years, a mortal is born with a dreaming ability so powerful she can travel through the dreams of others. If she can find him in the dreaming, then um, she she can should be able to find her brother, no matter where Galt may have taken him. So for now, continue your search for him in the waking world. Matthew will look after her. And Matthew, like, comes up, she's like, at your service, Rose. And then her, like, eyes go wide. It's like, you know, because it's a talking raven. Dream says that when Matthew is with her, he is with her. So tonight when she sleeps, they'll both go in search of her brother. Then we see Galt is in front of, like, a bunch of monitors. This alarm goes off. And then her hair and outfit kind of changes. So her appearance, like, looks, she looks a little different. The door to the upstairs open. This kid's, like, because there's, like, all these, like, kind of comic images of like faces on, on the screens. So this kid's like, which of my enemies is it this time? And one of them is like, is that Captain Cold? I you know, couldn't tell if any of them were familiar. And then she's like, it's the Pied Piper. So it's like, I think it's a DC Pied Piper, like the regular one, because it's kind of like the DC universe still, even though it's Netflix, whatever. And she's like, he's using next-gen technology to control the children in the area. And then he's like, this looks like a job for the Sandman. So he dresses like in a superhero costume, you know, it's like, I think it's like yellow and red and he has like a mask and she throws this like pouch of sand at him. He pours him in his hand, it swirls and he disappears. So then he appears in a street full, like over, there's like so many like overturned bikes and wagons. So it's like how many kids live in this neighborhood, but there's no sign of anyone. Then he starts to hear music. So he runs towards it and then he figures it must be the sewer. There's like a, like a manhole or whatever. But then a bunch of rats start coming out of the manhole and they start climbing up on him and like they overtake him. Jed wakes up in the cellar with a ranch rat chomping on his finger, like for real. So he wants to go upstairs, attend to the wound. He calls up to his aunt Clarice and Uncle Barnaby. She goes up to, you know, they're sitting like in a kitchen, this is right by the door. She go, gets up and Barnaby's like, don't, because, you know, he needs to learn to appreciate what he has or something like that. Rose wakes up and sees Matthew outside the window. She calls Unity and Unity says that there's a reporter there wanting to talk to her about the sleeping sickness, but it's really the Corinthian. So it's like, how the heck does Corinthian make it travel around but whatever so then he finds out that rose is in florida so he, he's gonna go there next uh light is still asleep she's dreaming of being with hector and he's like it's not just a dream and he's like you know wouldn't he just disappear when she wakes up or he's like no he's like i do stuff he's like and look he's like i built our dream house he opens a bedroom door that where they're staying and it opens up to this field and he like shows her and they like go inside this like big kind of like a fancy house Lucian tells Morpheus about unity and the sleep sickness, that she was the only survivor, and she woke up when he returned, so he wonders if his absence caused a creation of the vortex. Rose and the others, they go around, they put flyers around town about her missing brother. Lida goes to the foster lady on her own, because uh, and the, the foster lady has actually seen the flyers, so Lida wonders if the lady can go and check to, to make sure Jed is okay, like just to do a follow-up. And she says that she can, but she can't just show up. So she decides to call, you know, after, and when Lida leaves, you know, she's looking at the flyer and she's like, okay, so she gives them a call. 
Barnaby wonders why she wants to check up now after all this time. And, you know, so he's like suspicious of Clarice or whatever. So he tells her to call her back. And Clarice is like, well, you know, it's like if, if we call, it would raise a, a red flag. And if he, you know, she's like, if, if you don't want him here, we can give him back. He's like, I'm not giving back $800 a month, <laughs> which doesn't seem like that. I mean, it is, but whatever. He tells her to bring him up. And he says that he'll talk to him. So he tells Jed that if he's good, when the foster lady comes, then he can sleep in his own bed tonight. But if he embarrasses them, he'll take them back to the cellar. He'll wire his hands to the pipes down there and he'll break every bone in his body. As uh, Jed goes to like wash up or whatever, he takes some like post-it notes and a Sharpie when he you know grabs his towel or whatever. Rose and Hal are walking. Kurt the Corinthian is behind them and then she sees matthew and then corinthian sees them talking and then he kind of like backs away because he's like oh crap dream is is in, is aware of what's going on foster checkup uh jed has a note in his hand and then when the lady asks to talk to the, the parents the foster parents alone for some admin updates whatever he like goes to leave but then he comes back and he gives her a hug and then he like drops a note in her purse Back at her office, she opens her purse or whatever, and the Corinthian walks in. So it's like, is she going to be able to see the note or whatever? But Barnaby tells Jed, you know, after he's like, oh, you did a great job, except for dropping a note in her bag. So he some, somehow he found a note. And then we see the foster lady's dead. Corinthian killer. Rose dreams of Hal doing a show, and then, you know, he pulls off his mask saying that, it's not his real face or whatever. Then he pulls that one off and he's like, just like muscle or whatever, you know, no, he's like basically took his skin off. Then she goes into light his dream with Hector. And then she goes through more dreams. They finally make it to Jed, the Sandman's place. You know, as a superhero, Jed says that, you know, he's not one of the nightmares or something like that. With his nightmares. Galt says that he's a king of nightmares and wants to take Jed away from her. You know, Jed's like, I won't let that happen. And then Rose sees him and she's like, Jed? And Galt has taken, apparently taken the appearance of their mom. Jed like looks at her, then he recognizes Rose. So they hug. She's like, I've been looking for you everywhere. Dream reveals Galt's true appearance. And then she asks, you know, where is he in the real world? And, and he said that he's with Uncle Barnaby and he said that he'd break all his bones. Dream takes Galt. Rose tells, or he tells Rose it's time to wake up, but then Jed is like, Rose, and Barnaby upstairs, he takes off his, his belt to deal with, with Jed because he yelled out. So it's like, oh, you're not supposed to yell in the house or something like that. But then the doorbell rings. And uh, so unfortunately, uh, Rose didn't get a chance to find out where exactly they were at, just uh, who he was with. Hector tells Lida that maybe she can stay there in his dream and they can start a family. And then her tummy starts getting bigger. So she's pregnant, somehow got pregnant in her dream. Rose is searching for Clary's Barnaby home or something like that. Um, homeland or something. I forget what, what Jed said. Then she ends up finding a house listed under like Clary's and Barnaby. And then she tries to tell Lida that she found them. Lida comes out of the bathroom, but Rose had already left. And we see that she's pregnant for real. Jed hears um, Clary's scream, then the door opens to the, the cellar. Gull asks Dreams if he knows what he did. Morphe says humans cannot live in dreams. She says that, you know, the boy is being abused, that he's suffering, and he says that she just wanted a place to rule. So, she, you know, she didn't create a, a dream to rule. She just wanted to be a dream, 
and not a nightmare. He says that you know she has no choice why she was created. She mentions like the other dreams and nightmares that left when he was gone. They didn't come back out of love. She's and she's like she's like I'm not afraid of you. He's like you should be. You know a, a nightmare's purpose is to make a dreamer realize their fears so they can face them. Then his kind of shadow starts to descend on her, and he says you know perhaps a thousand years will make you realize your fears. And her legs start to like fade away, you know, turn to dust or sand or whatever. She says, well, better than than to make others afraid. It's like, even a nightmare can dream, my lord. Lucian's just like silent watching this. Dream's like, you feel my punishment was unjust? And Lucian kind of pauses. Then she's like, you know, she's like, I used to be something else before you made me your librarian. It's like, you know, we all change. She's like, even you perhaps one day. Jed slowly walks upstairs. The place is like trash. Corinthian, he like hides a bloody handkerchief behind his back. He's like, oh, hey, Jed. He's like, your sister sent me. Rose arrives at the house and she sees bodies are being taken out. Matthew's like there. She crosses like the police line and you know, an officer's like, you can't be here. She mentions her brother was inside. They say that there's only two adults. So wherever her brother is, he's not there. And we see Corinthian and Jed are in a convertible. And then, because he's like, how do you know my sister? He's like, well, actually, I don't know your sister, but he shows him the flyer. And he's like, I'm looking forward to meeting her. And that's the end of episode eight. Episode nine, Collectors. Rose tells Light about her dreams of finding Jed. She went to the house. Jed was gone. Her foster parents, or his foster parents were dead. Lida says that, she's like, I believe you. And then she mentions that she dreamed of Hector. And when she woke up, and she shows her her tummy. Matthew's outside the window. And then Rose says that, she thinks it it was her. You know, maybe she caused like this to happen or something like that. Matthew flies to dreaming, tells Lucian that Rose got light up pregnant. Lucian says that it's it's starting. So um Rose is wearing down the walls or something like that. And then he's like, Well, you're gonna tell the boss? She's like, No, because he reminded me that I'm just a librarian because you know, he kinda like scolded her when when she was talking about people changing and stuff like that. Corinthian calls Rose says that he found her brother and he puts Jed on the phone and he, so he says he's in Georgia, you know, can she come and get him? So, you know, light is on a computer. She looks in the map. She's like, Oh, they're just three hours away. And they drive, they get to the hotel and there's like a, a serial convention at the hotel, which is a serial killer convention. Gilbert, um, as Rose is about to leave, she, he, he says that he wants to go with her to get her brother because, you know, he just wants to go for a road trip or whatever. And, you know, maybe she could use some company. There's a, Slight earthquake in Hector and Lyda's dream when they're together. Merv looks for Lucien to tell her about the like the seismic activity, whatever. Dream insists that he tell him what's going on, and then there's this other rumble in the palace, and like the stained glass window starts to crack. Dream returns books to Lucien, asks if she has any idea about the seismic activities, and then he says that he did not mean to say that she was merely a librarian. Uh, you know, but then you know, has she experienced anything like that, like the earthquake? She's like, no. And then he, he, or something like that, if there's something new in the dreaming and he hasn't created it, then how did it get there? Rose talks to Unity again. She wants to send him money for like plane tickets. And she also says she'll look into making Rose Jed's legal guardian so no one can take him away. And she talks to her lawyer and, you know, she's saying, you know, maybe they could live in London with her. You know, they could get a house and all this stuff. Rose is still in the, the car with Gilbert driving to the hotel. So she was like on the phone with him for, during all this. Jed's in hotel room eating chicken fingers and watching like a Justice League cartoon. Corinthian tells him to stay in the room because he's going to head downstairs. But of course, as soon as he leaves, you know, Jed takes off like his robe and he's like dressed underneath and he, he sneaks out. 
So the one uh, speaker dude, he's he's talking to all the people, the, the convention attendees. He so he mentions like rules, you know, no civilian names. You know, they have to use their whatever serial killer names. No pooping where they eat. So basically, don't kill anyone until they're like two hundred miles from there. And then he has to mention that the family man couldn't make it. So that was supposed to be like the, the keynote speaker or something like that. So they're like, ah, oh. but they have a new guest of honor. The Corinthian, the Corinthian just kind of stands and like waves and they all applaud or whatever. And Jed's like peeking through the door. It's like convention room. Gilbert is talking on and on while he drives and Rose falls asleep in the car. Uh, she ends up in this field. She sees Lida and she sees that she's even more pregnant. And she's like, oh, it's, it's been months. And and she's like, she's like, I wish the baby would just get here. Rose is like, it's only been two hours. They start walking towards the house, and Lida mentions like the earthquake, and you see like some of the ground in the field is, is cracked. Matthew and Dream are there, and then Dream tells him to tell Lucian that she was right about the source, and he's taking care of it. They, so they enter the house, and Dream's inside. Hector looks troubled, and Rose says, oh, you know, this is Morpheus, the Dream King, whatever. And Lida's like, what's wrong? Hector says that he wants them to leave. And she's like, why? Because a ghost cannot escape his fate by hiding in a dreaming, nor can a living human being escape her grief here. Do you not see the damage your presence has done to this realm? And there's like a crack in a ceiling in the house and everything like that. I cannot allow you to stay. So he tells Hector that he belongs with the dead. He's like, you know, he says he's sorry, but they have to say their goodbye now. Lida tells Hector that, you know, she's not losing him again. And, and, you know, he goes to her. She tells Dream, she's like, get out of our house. And he like raises, but it's like, all these people are high and mighty. They, it's like, you don't understand what they're just being selfish, but I get it. So Sam uh, Dream raises his hand and Hector starts to decompose. And then he fades to dust and Lida's like left clutching her stomach. He tells her that her husband died a long time ago, that he was a ghost and this is a dream. Then he's like, the baby is yours for now. And she's like, what do you mean? Dream says that the child was conceived in the dreaming. He's like, it is mine. And she's like, what? And one day I will come for it. And Rose is like, oh, no, you won't. You'll do nothing. And then he's like, this dream is over. And he waves his hand. So then we see Dream is standing in his palace. Rose is like, she's there. Somehow she's like following. She's like, you killed my friend. He's like, how did you get here? And she's like, you did it in front of you know, his wife and then threatened to take his baby or something like that. And she's like, do you know why this happened? A vortex gathering strength can weaken the walls between dreams. And she's like, I didn't ask for any of this. Even so, no, I don't want you coming near me or my friends ever again. So he's like, listen to me. She's like, I do. You know, she's like, you said a vortex can create universes or destroy them. So I suggest you leave my universe to fudge alone. He's Rose. And she's like, this dream is over. And then she wakes up in the car. Lida calls her. She's crying. She says that she's still pregnant. And Rose is like, he's not going to bother us ever again. And then Gilbert tells Rose, like, oh, we've arrived. They pull up to the hotel. But I like this. So it's like 21-year-old Rose who doesn't have a clue about anything, doesn't even have a job, can't even get a job. And she's telling Dream, like, whatever, even though the, the, the fact that this could destroy, like, the world and the universe. So fans are talking to Corinthian, you know, they're all excited. He excuses himself to talk to this dude who's been like staring at him. So it's like, oh, is this going to be like another hookup or something? Jed is still spying on them from like, behind plants and stuff like that. The The guy that was staring at Corinthian says that he's the boogeyman and he asked to buy him a drink later. Two of the organizers come up to him and the one, like, one dude, he's like, oh, I see you met the boogeyman. And Corinthian's like, I have. 
and that's not the boogeyman. The lady, I think she's the good doctor. Um, the dude, I think, was Nimrod or something like that. So she's like, are you sure? And Corinthian's like, the boogeyman's dead. He drowned in Louisiana three years ago. And they're like, how do you know? I know. Then he sees Jed sneaking off, so he follows him. He goes like into this other room, but it's this other kid actually like going to his parents. Somehow Jed snuck behind some luggage, and uh, this other kid kind of bears a very strong similarity to him from behind. So it's like very coincidental, whatever. So Jed kind of like leaves just as uh, Rosen and and Gilbert walk in. So they just miss each other. They talk to. Uh, this other the other guy uh, Funland who stops them because he's like the conventions for attendees only, but as they're talking, Rose steals two badges because she thinks that she can just do whatever she wants. So they they split up to go looking for her brother, and then uh, Gilbert like he's like popping into these different panels and he's con- confused like with the topic because it's it's not overly clear that they're talking about killing and stuff like that, but there's like very strong hints. And he's just like, wait, what? What is this about? Because they think it's about actual serial. Because like they were surprised that children weren't allowed. Because that's the, the the one dude. He's like, oh, your brother's not here. I assure you that. So then, um, the the one lady, she she tells a Corinthian that that dude that that he was talking to is really he writes for this blog fanzine called Chast. So they give him permission to deal with him, even though you're not supposed to poop or eat. But then they like they're like, but can we watch you work? And he's like, well, why don't we do it together? Gilbert comes out of this panel and then he and Corinthian lock eyes, but it's like, wait, why would they even recognize each other? Cause you know, Gilbert's just this dude that lives in an attic, right? Just hang on. You'll you'll find out if you don't know already. So then the uh, Corinthian leaves the, uh, and, and the, the, the two people, they, they go to look for that dude, the fan dude, whatever. Gilbert tries leaving a message for Rose. Um, the receptionist's like, oh, she hasn't checked in yet. And Gilbert's like, no, she's not a guest. The lady's like, but she has a room reserved. And he's confused. So then he sees a Corinthian again. And uh, Corinthian sees Gilbert too. But the that fan blog guy comes up and he's like, oh, what about getting that drink? So Corinthian's like, oh, how about we find someplace quieter? Rose goes to the receptionist with a flyer. She's like, have you seen, you know, my brother, whatever. Then she's like, she gives Rose her room key and she's like, Gilbert left a message. And he said that he's sorry, but he had to go home. Rose is confused because she's like a room, whatever. But she just takes the room key without questioning why she has a room. She's like, okay. Dream goes to the library to tell Lucian that she was right about the vortex damaging the dreaming and that he was wrong. Uh, you know, he was risking their safety in the hopes that she would locate the missing arcana. Lucian says that, you know, he's not entirely wrong. She's found them both. And he's like, she found a Corinthian in Fiddler's Green? He's like, where? How did, you know, how do you know? Lucian says Fiddler's Green told her. And then Gilbert comes out. So then it's like, what? So he apologizes. So Gilbert is really Fiddler's Green. Then he's like, why? Why did you leave? He's like, I trusted you to be the heart of the dreaming. Gilbert says that he left, but he's come back because the Corinthian is is murdering them. Dream is surprised to hear that the Corinthian has found Rose Walker. And Lucian says, you know, imagine the damage he could do with someone like Rose. So Corinthian is with the fan blog dude. And then the other other two walk up. And uh, the lady's like, you're not one of us. He's, he's like, oh, but I want to be. That's why I'm here to learn. So they start working on him and stuff like that. Then Jed walks in, of course, and they all like see him. So Jed turns around and Corinthian's like, this one's mine. 
Jed bumps into Funland because Funland's like really into apparently killing kids. You know, he goes like he hangs around amusement parks to find lost kids and then takes them somewhere quiet to try to kill them or or do whatever he's going to do to them. So Jed's like, they're after me. And Funland's like, he because he tried like talking to him before and Corinthian's like, no. But then uh, Funland's like, yo, you'll be safe in my room. Gilbert uh, Fiddler's Green tells Lucian Morpheus has changed. You know, he came to her, her nearly apologize. So he's like, the Morpheus I knew would never do that. And she says that he'll probably go easy on him too for returning on his own. But Gilbert, like, that doesn't matter as long as Dream stops Corinthian and saves Rose. Lucian's like, there is no saving her. So apparently uh, Fiddler's Green Gilbert didn't realize that she was a vortex. So he's like, that means he'll have to kill her. Rose goes to her room. She sees chicken fingers on a tray, and you know Jed loves him. Then she sees Jed and Funland in the hall. They like run into each other, and Funland's like, "You can't have him. He's my friend." And he tries grabbing Jed. Rose is like, "Let go. He's my brother." And Jed elbows him in the gut, and then they he starts chasing them. They they go down to some halls and like that. They reach this locked door at the end of the hall, and Funland catches him. He's like, "You hurt me. Now I'm gonna have to hurt you." And then. <gasps> Corinthian killed him from behind. And he's like, hello, Rose. He pulls his knife out of Funland's back. You're safe with me. It's like, you just killed a dude. Episode 10, Lost Hearts, last episode of the season. Corinthian says that he's not going to hurt them. He, you know, he saved his life and he'll protect her from Morpheus. So Rose wants to talk to him alone. And then she asks if he's one of the missing nightmares, right? And he says that you know she's a vortex. And she says that he's watching her. Corinthian says that it's not to protect her. It's because the minute she falls asleep, she weakens the walls between dreams, and then he's going to kill her. That dream's going to kill her, Morpheus. So he says that he can protect her, and you know, then they can both be free. So then uh, the good doctor knocks on the door. She tells him it's almost time for his keynote speech. He tells Rose that he has to go down for about an hour. Will she wait for him? And she thinks, and she's like, no. She's like, I'm taking Jen. We're going home. Corinthian's like, okay. He's like, you can leave, but as soon as you go outside, Dream's Raven will see you. He's like, this is your room. And he puts on like the other room key. He's like, here, have both keys. He's like, I'll be back in, in an hour. I'll knock and you can let me in if you want. If not, I'll go away. So down at the convention, big, big hall, big applause for the Corinthian. He's like, you know, I don't usually talk in public, but, you know, they all share something in common, whatever. They don't kill for revenge or profit. They kill to kill. He tells them all to close their eyes and see themselves as he sees them. And we get glimpses of, like, some of them in action, like the, how they perform, like what their shtick is or whatever. Then Dream shows up. He tells them. So it's just, I don't know if, like, the, everyone falls asleep, everything, everyone's on pause. Because he's like, he says that he and all these people he's inspired disappoint him. That, you know, he's been out for over a century. He's like, what have you done besides kill and bring fear? Corinthian pulls out his knife and he's like, a knife against dream? So he, he starts to make Corinthian fade by raising his hand. You know, they're both like up on a stage thing. Then Corinthian stabs his hand, which brings dream down to his knees. And he's like, how? He says, Rose Walker gets stronger while every second he gets weaker. So she's taken his place as the center of the dreaming. Rose and Jed in the room, they, for some reason, they fell asleep. She uh, woke up and and then told tells Jed that they have to go, but she's actually still dreaming. And she walks into like one of the killer's dreams because now she's you know the walls are getting thinner or whatever. Corinthian says that Rose is bringing the walls down between the sleepers' minds now, and that they're all dreaming the same dream. So dream that he inspired. Morpheus is like no, 
Corinthians says it's already happening. There's nothing you can do. She's asleep and dreaming. Morpheus says that then she's not beyond his reach. He's like, oh, I think she is now that she knows you're planning to kill her. Rose and Jed are surrounded by killers in their dreams. She tells Jed to run. Morpheus tells her that she needs to wake up. Corinthian tells her not to listen to him. Morpheus says that it's his dream from the waking world. Corinthians is like sort of going back and forth. She, he's like, you're in control. And he's like, make a blank canvas. Then the, the killers and Jed disappear. And she's like, Jed? Corinthians is like, oh, Jed's fine. You know, He's right next to you upstairs asleep. He says that the dreaming is hers now. Morpheus asks, is that what he told you? And she says that he said Morpheus was going to kill her. Did he tell you why? When a vortex brings down the walls between dream, she creates a single volatile dream that will collapse in upon itself and take the waking world with it. Your world, everything and everyone will die. Corinthians is like, oh, don't believe him. Dream says that it's happened before. He failed in his duty and an entire universe was lost. Corinthians says that he's trying to uh, keep her dream alive. Dream says that he's trying to keep the world alive that she has to choose. And she's like, enough. She says that if she's as powerful as they say, she'll find her own way. It's like, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's how it works, that you can choose. You know, if you have one single purpose, it doesn't mean you can necessarily change it. In the meantime, the walls go back up and she wakes up. So Dream looks at the cut on his hand. Corinthian takes off his shades. He's like, if you think I'm going back to the dreaming with you, you're not going back. I brought you into this world to serve humanity, not to feed upon it. And he's like, you know why I do it? So I can taste what it's like to be human. And you don't you know, care about humanity. You only care about yourself and your realm and your rules. I contain the entire collective unconscious. Without my rules, it would consume me. Humanity would be consumed. Corinthian says that he might, he's like, oh, then you might actually feel something. And he, he says, I'm not the problem. Dream's like, you're right. It, this was my fault, not yours. I had so much hope for you, but I created you poorly then. So I must uncreate you now. He raises his hand and he starts to dissolve. So, you know, as he's dissolving, Corinthian's like, I'm only sorry. I won't be able to see Rose Walker do the same to you. And then there's a little skull with like teeth in its eye sockets left on a, the pile of dust. And it's, it's kind of cute. And then uh, he holds it in his palm. Next time I make you, you will not be so flawed and petty, little dream. So he turns to the crowd who slowly wakes up. And you who call yourself collectors, until now, you have sustained fantasies in which you are the victims, comforting daydreams in which you are always right. But no more. The dream is over. I have taken it away. For this is my judgment upon you that you shall know from this moment on exactly how craven and selfish and monstrous you are. So they all start to leave the hotel and go to their cars. Rose and Jed walk out too. And we hear a dream continue, that you shall feel the pain of those you have slaughtered. We see the good doctor in her car. She calls 911. She's like, I, I'm calling to confess to a crime. <laughs> Probably like several crimes. Dream continues, and the grief of those that mourn them still and you shall carry that pain and grief and guilt with you until the end of time. We see this other dude grab a gun for, out of his glove, glove box and then phew, shoots himself. Rose and Jed are in a car, I guess. So I guess, yeah. So when at first I was like, wait, Gilbert was driving, but it was Rose's car. So he was driving her car. Dream comes as they, they pull away. Matthew's like, do you want me to follow her? And he's like, no, when she is awake, she is not a threat. Tonight when she sleeps, I will find her and we will end this. So in the car... Jed's like, is mom still sick? And Rose has to tell him that she passed a few months ago. And he, she tells him that he, she never stopped trying to get him back. And so he's like crying because he never got to say goodbye or anything. 
She's like, dad just didn't want to let you go. Judd's like, so it's just you and me now? With a smile, she tells him, she's like, oh, we have a great grandmother who can't wait to meet you. And then there's my best friend, Lida. She's, you know, and he's like, oh, she's calling right now because he's holding her phone. Then Rose is like, hey, guess who's in the car with me? And Lida's like, don't panic, but I'm in a hospital now. She's in labor. And we see Ken, Barbie, and Hal are with her. Chantel and Zelda are on their way. So Rose is like, so are we. They arrive at the hospital. Everyone's in a waiting room. They're like, we, we're not family, so we can't talk to her. Barbie notices Ken's talking to a nurse because there's like some flirting going on or she's suspecting flirting or something like that. Then he comes up in a bit and he's like, light is at three centimeters and doctor's with her now. And Barbie's like, oh, that um, nurse told you that? He's like, oh yeah, she's really nice. They ask, where's Gilbert? And Rose is like, he said he had to go home. She's like, I thought he, he was with you. Rose calls Unity, says that she found Jed, but has a favor. If something were to happen to her hypothetically, if she went to sleep tonight and didn't wake up, would Jed be able to come live with her? Unity says that you know she was going to, she's like, no, that's not going to happen. But she's like, I was going to suggest that you both come live with me. So she returns the other. Then a nurse comes for, to her. Lida wants to talk to her. Rose says that she's afraid that when she goes to sleep, Dream is going to kill her. That he said he was, um, she was going to destroy the whole world. Light is like, if that's true, you have the power. If you have the power to destroy a world, then you have the power to destroy him. But again, why, why make that assumption? And it's like, okay, so you're going to destroy him, but you're still going to destroy the world. But it's okay because you destroyed him. So Light is probably just mad at because what he, he did to Hector. Um, but Rose is like, I don't want to destroy him. She's like, I don't want any of this. And she's afraid to fall asleep. She's afraid to wake up. Light is like, he should be afraid. So when she goes to sleep tonight, she has to find him and end this. She's like, you're in charge now. You're the vortex, which is just so stupid. <laughs> it's like, shut up, Lida. I like Lida up until, I mean, okay, she's pregnant, hormones. She lost her husband again, whatever. At the, the house, the, the B&B or whatever, she and Jed lie in bed. She hears... Uh, dreams words about finding her own path and she hears a corinthian saying that you know dream wants to kill her then she's at another of hal's shows she sees an emergency exit she tries like forcing it open the others end, end up in this field instead of like their separate dreams so they're all there then the sky goes dark and there's like swirl in the sky and then like in the field it's like there's like a vortex happening rose is like i'm sorry it's just a dream it's like you have to wake up but they're getting sucked in and dissolving into the like the ground vortex even jed shows up in a superhero outfit and he gets sucked in then she ends up in like this snowy field and dreams like says that she's done a great deal of damage nothing that he cannot repair at least at this stage so dream says that you know, they're asleep in their bed, but none of them are safe. No one is, is not until the vortex is dead. And then Unity's sleeping. She dreams of, of walking in Lucian's library. And she's like, I'm looking for a book about the story of my life. Dream tells Rose that death isn't always a bad thing. And then Gilbert walks up and she's like, what are you doing here? Dream's like, this is Fiddler's Green. So he explains that he left his post to experience life as a human being a life he humbly offers in exchange for hers. Dreams like, I'm afraid that's not possible. For the dreaming and the waking world to live, the vortex must die. Rose is like, well, then what's the point of a vortex? Why did it even exist? You know, and it doesn't seem like Dream knows. Then Gilbert says that he has a theory. When a human is at the center of the dreaming, it is not to remind us, or he's like, is it not to remind us that we exist because humans dream, not the other way around? It's like the miracle of humanity itself should always be more vivid to us than the marvels of power. 
Dream says that he cannot find it in his heart to punish Fiddler's Green for leaving, but it is time he took upon his appointed position once more. He says that it would be his honor. He never intended to leave his role. And Rose is like, what was your role? It's like, who were you? And Gilbert says, Fiddler's Green is not a who, it is a where. So he was not a person, he was a place. So after her death, if she stays in the dreaming, he's like, visit me. He's like, farewell, Rose Walker. And then he starts turning into like leaves and butterflies and flowers, whatever, and spreads out all over the area. So it's really like pretty and everything like that. Dream says that, you know, he doesn't wish to take her life. He's like, I'm sorry. Rose is like, just do it. You know, whatever it takes to save my brother and friends. She's like, I'm ready. He raises his hand. She starts to shimmer towards him. Then Lucian and Unity come up. He's like, my Lord, stop. Unity introduced herself. According to the book that she found, she was meant to be the vortex of this age because he was in prison and locked out of the dreaming. That fate was handed down to her descendants. She tells Rose to reach inside her at whatever that makes her a vortex. And she's like, how? And Unity's like, well, we're dreaming, so anything's possible. So she like kind of reach, pull, like reaches into her chest and pulls out this kind of like black and red crystal heart. And Unity takes it. She's like, I'm the vortex now, Dream King, as I should have been long ago. And she's like, and leave my great granddaughter alone. The, the heart cracks, and then she kind of slumps over in, in the real world in her sleep. So she's probably, she's like dead in the real world. She kind of slumps over in a dreaming a bit, and Dream says that she died so that Rose might live. And Rose is like, oh, I'm sorry. And Unity's like, no. She's like, I was meant to die a long time ago. But if I had, then I never would have met my golden-eyed man, and we would never would have had our beautiful baby girl, and Rose wouldn't have been born. Dream's like, he says that the father of her child had golden eyes, and we see it was desire. So Unity says that Mr. Holdaway will see that she and Jed have everything they need. Dream looks at Rose and says, you and your brother are children of the endless. You have suffered enough. You may leave this place. Goodbye, Rose. She's gone. Rose wakes up. Jed's still sleeping. He has a smile on his face. She looks at her phone. Lida sent a picture of the baby. It's a boy. Of course it's a boy. And we know, if you've read the comics, you know who it is. Rose and Jed visit Lida. Rose is holding the baby. Lida asks, if she's like, are we going to do this together? And she says that we already are. Then she's like, have you decided a name? And Lida says she thought about Hector, but there is only one Hector, and he deserves his own name. Jed mentions something that the Corinthians said to him before, I think. He's like, he's like, notice how people only use your name when you're in trouble. He's like, as long as he doesn't have one, he can't get into trouble. And then Lida thinks about Dream's promise about coming back for him. So if you read the comics, spoiler, she ends up naming, or I think he comes and names the baby Daniel. So that'll probably happen next season, if there is one. Barbie and Ken are going to go visit next at the hospital. Hal says that he had a dream about selling the house and moving back to New York. Chantel and Zelda, they're like, we'll buy the house. Dream goes to his gallery. He takes Desire Sigil to call call him. Dream's like, I'm coming through. And then Desire's like, can I get you anything? Anything you desire? I desire nothing from you, save some answers. Unity Kincaid should have been the vortex of this era, but someone took advantage of my imprisonment and fathered a child with her, knowing full well that it would become the vortex and I would be forced to kill it. Desire asks, like, was it, was it really that obvious? And he's like, no, you covered your tracks remarkably well. What did you truly intend? That I should spill family blood with all that would entail? Desire smiles and said that this time it almost worked. My sibling 
we of the endless are servants of the living, not their masters. We exist only because they know deep in their hearts that we exist. We do not manipulate them. If anything, they manipulate us. You and despair and even poor delirium would do well to remember that. Mess with me or mine again, and I shall forget you are family. Do you believe yourself strong enough to stand against me, against death, against destiny? And Desire's like, no. Remember that next time you're inspired to interfere in my affairs. Desire smiles, says like, you know, after he's gone, it's like, oh, I really got under your skin. It's like, next time I'll draw blood. So then we see Dream is forming new nightmares when Lucian comes up. You know, there's nothing wrong. It's, she's, it's just something lovely. She's like, a, a new book appeared in a library written by Rose Walker. Because it's they're in the library, it's supposed to be every book ever written or meant to be written or t- will be written. So it's a book that Rose eventually will write. She says that he may take issue with the depiction of the king in the story, but she loved it. Dreams like she was a child of the endless with quite a story to tell. So in the real world, Rose is finishing the book and she's at her computer. Light is at her place with a slightly bigger baby. He has like more hair and everything like that. Hal and Kevin apparently are together now. So he must've moved to New York or, or Brunswick or whatever. And then uh, Rose is about to submit her manuscript. It's called Into the Night. Lucian asks Dream if he's making new nightmares to replace Galt and the Corinthian. He says the world does not need a new Corinthian quite yet. And he hands her the skull and he asks her to keep it somewhere safe for him. He said he's finishing a dream. He asks Lucian if she wishes to say hello. So it's Galt, but now she has sort of like fairy wings. Lucian tells Galt, it's like, oh, you look beautiful. And Galt, she has a big smile on her face. She has Dream if she may ask what made him change her mind about him. He says that he had no right to return here after a century and expect everyone, everything to be just as he left it. So new dreams, new nightmares, it's a new age. She's like, thank you. And then she like flies away. He tells Lucian that you know he might be here a while. Would she mind taking care of a few things while he works? And she's like, with pleasure, sir. In hell... Lucifer kind of looks bored. Azazel, a demon, wishes to speak to Lucifer. So they have apparently stopped fighting with the other demons, whatever, because of Lucifer's enemy, their enemy, Dream of the Endless. The armies of hell are Lucifer's to command, should you wish to strike. Lucifer asks, like, you wish to invade the dreaming? If you command it. And then perhaps the waking world, and one day even the Silver City? Azazel's like, precisely, since we can't leave hell, we may as well expand its borders until hell is all there is. Lucifer's like, you've given me a lot to think about. Azel's like, we'd like you to do more than think. The generals demand action. Lucifer's like, do they? Then I shall act. You may tell them. Then Mazzy Keen, uh, Lucifer's number one, asks, uh, she's like, can I ask what will you do? Lucifer's like, something that I have never done before. Something that will make God absolutely livid and bring Morpheus to his knees. And like outside, the demons are like, Lucifer, Lucifer, Lucifer. So maybe this is when Lucifer hands over the keys. So, spoiler. But uh, I, I haven't heard anything about a season two. Hopefully, we'll get one. I don't know how this falls into all the Warner Brothers stuff, since this is a Netflix show. So it's like, is Netflix funding it more than Warner Brothers were? So maybe they'd be like, okay, whatever, you know, we're not paying for this. So it doesn't matter. You know, we're not going to, we can't cancel it on HBO Max. 
So I, I don't know. And I'm not sure. I mean, I think people are, are liking it. I, I liked it. You know, it was a little hard because being so familiar with the stories and just like seeing them again. And I've, I've because of listening to the audible, which are really good. You should listen to those as well. You know, I, I feel like I've just, I'm so familiar with these stories and it's like, I'm just seeing it again, but it, they did a really good job. So uh, you definitely, you should check it out. Okay. Now let's talk lock and key season three. And, you know, I was looking back or trying to look back at, at the past episodes. I don't know if I ever finished. I don't know if I did the entire complete season two. I think I only did the first five episodes. And then I don't think I recorded. I talked about the next one because I don't know yeah, what it is. And and I what I, I think, you know, thinking about with, with this season, with these episodes, I, I feel I really I want to like the show more than I like it. I really like it. I like the cast. But there's just something about the way the pacing of the show and some of the things that comes up that kind of bothers me a little bit. And and especially like with, with, with this season, especially in the beginning, you know, it does start getting better, you know, as you go through it. But as I, I was watching the first few episodes, I was just like, man, I don't, I don't know. I can't really get into it. And then, you know, because you always have to have a villain or a nemesis to move the, to give a purpose of the story. You know, you can't have everyone just happy sitting around because that's that's not interesting. And I think that's part of my problem. The, the thing with Dodge, you know, Dodge was, was a, I guess, a good villain, if you want to say that. Because I, I didn't like Dodge and I didn't like, um, oh, what was his name? Gabe or whatever. So that you have to have it. You don't, you're not supposed to like the, the villains, the bad guys. And now with this Gideon, this captain dude, or the, the demon that's possessing this captain dude's body... It's just there's just some things that you'll you'll see as as I get through it. So as as I've been watching, I was just like, man, I don't know if I can do this. So I think that's if if I think recall back, I think I ended up not feeling it to cover the rest of this of the the second season, and that's fine because like when I talk about movies, I don't spoil the whole movies. So hopefully, I apologize retrospectively or, or whatever, retroactively, if if you're like, you never finished it. So we'll, we'll go through this one. I'll, I'll, at least this week, I'll talk about the first half of the final season. I'm pretty sure this is final, right? So the third season. So let's just start with, with season three, episode one. So if you're watching this, whatever. Uh, it, it, it starts off, so, you know, Dodge is gone. There's no, you know, we don't have that villain. There, so we need to have this new villain, this, this Gideon dude. But this first episode, the snow globe, it actually starts out. There's these two women, Ada and Dorothy. They're outside the lock house, and, and but then they're actually like in a snow globe. They're a snow globe of the house because so they're like swinging this branch to like this, you know this big huge branch like tied to a tree. You know that's trying to bang the 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 base of the snow globe. You know they've found the edge of it and. If they were to break it, would they escape from this snow globe? I mean, what's what's their thinking here? I, I don't really know. So then Nina, the mom, she hears like a thud and she goes in the other room. She sees a snow globe on the floor. She's like, oh, I never really noticed this before. And Ada and Dorothy can see her like looking into the, you know, you see a giant Nina like looking down, but, but Nina can't see them because, you know, that's just how it works. So then uh, Nina steps out and calls Kinsey and, and Bodie for lunch. And they were outside using different keys as like a cat and sparrow, you know, so they can run around, turn into animals or something like that. It just seems weird how just calmly, casually, they just use all these different keys. And so then uh, 
they haven't really heard from Tyler because Tyler left after his girlfriend died last season at, at the end. You know, she had her annual or whatever, all this stuff happened. And he's like, he's confused because he's forgetting things. You know, he's getting older, so he's forgetting about the magic stuff. Uh, then uh, he like he liked one of Kinsey's texts, but that's it. You know, he, he never responded back. So it's, it's been like two months since he's left. And, you know, they thought he would be back already. They don't know. You know, he just had to go off and, you know, get away and find himself and all that stuff. But, but Kinsey said, you know, at home, things are good. Dodge is gone. They haven't heard from Eden because they don't know what happened to Eden. Eden got killed. Eden's at the at the bottom of the well. So in the cave, this Frederick Gideon dude, he's, you know, looking for the doorway, that big doorway to the other dimension or whatever. He's like hissing like a demon. He's, he's like, oh, he's, he's real scary. But then Kinsey and Nina, they're working on, on arrangements for a wedding. I was, I was trying to forget. Did we? Did they mention that Duncan was getting married last? I I know. I'm pretty. Sh- I know. I finished the season. I don't remember Duncan and Brian. So uh, <laughs> it's so funny because I, I was like looking at the IMD IMDb uh, reviews. So many people were were angry or like low giving. I think it was the second episode, like super low ratings, and they're calling it woke. Because there's a gay marriage. It's like, um, Duncan was gay in the comics. <laughs> so it's like, and, and I, I'm pretty sure he got married in the comics too. Uh, his husband in the comics wasn't black. They changed that for, for, that's not a big deal. I mean, it is a big deal, but in terms of it, people just, just relax. Okay. So anyways, going back to the episode, but anyways, I, I, well, what I was saying, I was, I forgot that they mentioned that Duncan was getting married. So I don't know. Where that maybe I need I should have rewatched season two, but that's okay. So they're 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 making the wedding plans. Uh, Kinsey, you know, she's like, why don't you ask Josh if he wants to come? So the, the teacher dude that she's they, obviously they like each other, and uh, what Jamie her I think the, the girl's name is Jamie Bodie's friend. She's not sure whatever. And Kinsey says you know she's not sure if Tyler's coming. She um, texts him you know threatening to put him next to this cousin Frank who tells knock knock jokes whatever. But you know he. He doesn't, you know, if he doesn't respond, he starts typing. You can see it, but then he he doesn't respond. He just it just goes blank. So then we see Rufus and his mom Ellie are driving back to town, and then, uh, you know Nina tells her that she doesn't have to explain why she was gone because you know she was she was possessed by Dodge and whatever. So she was like in limbo for this while, whatever. And uh, she shows a mark on her shoulder, so she's. Now Nina's telling her that she knows about the magic and everything like that. And they talk about like what she went through because of Dodge and all this stuff. So they're able to, so it's kind of nice having Nina being on the same page as everyone that, you know, they used to remember key or, or whatever it was because it, before it was just like tiptoeing around her. It just, it kind of made her seem silly, like naive because she didn't know what was going on. And then, um, the two of the friends, I think Zadie and Doug, they're working on this tourism movie for that Gordy Shaw. I think Gordy wasn't he one of the friends of, of Randall, whatever Randall. They're they're sort of making like a tourism movie to fund their equipment. Then later they're making another movie with Kinsey. It gets a sequel to their first one or whatever because they did finish the first one, right? Then we see Bodie. He starts hearing whispering while sitting in the kitchen, and he looks in the freezer. It's like, how many keys were made? How many keys are there? He finds a, a key buried under the frost at the, the bottom towards the back of the freezer. It has a snowflake on it. He's like, where else is there a snowflake? Nina's like, oh, I think I know. So then she goes to the snow globe 
is when she holds a key up, then a uh, keyhole appears. So she wants to try it, but he's like, "Oh, you know, we should probably wait for Kinsey." But Nina's like, "Like, oh, you know, she might." She said she was maybe not going to be back until late. So they they turn it like nothing happens. But then Bodie sees it snowing outside, so they both go out there. Then uh, you know, Bodie's making s- s- snow angels, whatever. Nina sees Aiden and Dorothy walking up, the two women. And then they forced her way inside and they want the snow globe. So Nina rushes to the globe, turns a key, but they're still in there. And what happens is the doors close. Bodhi gets locked outside. So Bodhi's now stuck in the snow globe. So one grabs Nina by the throat. She's freakishly strong, lifts her up. And then like, like her face goes. So she's really a demon. You know, they're all ever demons everywhere. Right. So then she's like, now give us a, you know, the key. The other one grabs a key from her, but it didn't burn her. Because, you know, you can't take keys from a, a lock. It didn't burn her because Nina's not a lock by blood. So then they leave and Bodhi is like at the door in the globe, but he can't get in. But Nina, like she goes to the door and she yells for him, but he's not there. He can see her from inside the, the globe or whatever. So um, maybe, hey, Nina, maybe using the key wasn't a good idea. Nina um, calls Kinsey to come home and then... Uh, Bodhi finds the edge of the globe and he you know, tries knocking or whatever. Kinsey comes home. Nina blames herself. Kinsey says that, you know, that she's like, oh, don't worry. We'll get the key back. And I, I kind of like it. It's me. I don't know how realistic it is, but Kinsey is like super like cool and calm. They, they've been through a lot. Kinsey's kicked a lot of butt. She's survived all this. So, so yeah, she should deservedly should be like super cool, but it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how she's just like, she's like, we'll find it. Don't worry. And you know, she's part of it. She's trying to, keep things calm and, and, you know, keep your mom calm and everything like that. So it's, it's kind of nice. And then, uh, Gideon is sitting out by a fire. He's staring at, 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 you know, the key that he has. And then the two ladies from the snow globe find him. So she's like, we're, we're here now, master or something like that. So they're really Dorothy and Ada Wheeler. Nina and Kinsey see a fire in the wood as they're driving down this little path. So they go there and there's no one there. Bodhi in the snow globe, he climbs up. He almost falls. He climbs up to the balcony of the house and, you know, in the snow globe, he can't get in. He's like, he's like, oh, let me in. I'm freezing out here. Gideon takes Ada and Dorothy to the well. They bend open the bars. Cause they're like I said, freakishly strong. Ada goes down into the well on a rope. She sees dead Eden's body down there. And Gideon calls up. I don't know why Gideon couldn't go down there. Maybe there's some reason, but he's like, check her pockets. Or maybe he couldn't go inside. There's something. I don't remember. So uh, she finds a key in there, and he's like, "I didn't know there was more key. What? Didn't, you didn't know there's more keys? Why would you say to check the pockets? Like, what, what do you think? Is your, your wallet's gonna be in there? Cell phone? It's like you don't know anything about that." So then they tell him about like some of the others, whatever. He's like, "Bring, bring me the keys." They're like, "Well, you can't just take keys from the locks." He's like, "Well, I don't care how. Just bring them." So Nina and Kinsey return home. Dorothy and Ada. Uh, are are there for the other keys. Kinsey has a Hercules key on that gives her strength. So they get in a fight. Nina pushes one into the mirror place uh, with a mirror key, whatever. And then they manage to throw Ada into the mirror also. So they're, they're both stuck in there. And they luckily, they checked her pocket. They didn't check the first one's pocket, um, Dorothy, but they checked Ada's and they got the key out. So they use it and they bring Bodhi back inside. And then they're in the kitchen. Gideon's watching from outside. You know, he's standing like on this little little hill, looking into the kitchen. 
we finally see Tyler. He's working like building houses or whatever. He was in Montana. This girl that he works with has been trying to. She's like, oh, you, you we should go out for a drink. You know, he's not old enough. She's like, oh, don't worry. You know, they don't really check ID, whatever. She's like, you can, you know, meet, you know, hang out with with me and the others, or you know, we're all going out to this bar. He goes there. The quote unquote guys aren't there. It's just the two of them. So you know, she's like, oh, one had other plans or something like that and the other you know there was like some excuses whatever he gets a text from Bodie saying the wedding is Saturday hope you'll be there and then he tells her that you know it, it's it's too far feels like he just left so he, you know she then they, they, they just have to drink he said he was going to have one drink because he has to drive but then after they're outside and she's like oh you know why don't you come to my place we can watch a dumb movie I'd live just like right there and he's like, uh, I should probably get home, you know, g- get some sleep or whatever. And she's like, okay. And then Kinsey sends him a pic of her and Bodie saying they're still finding treasures because, you know, they, they found another key or whatever. And then uh, Nina calls Josh. She says, or he says that he'd love to be her plus one at the wedding. Gideon squeezes the two keys he has together and it makes like a, cr- a crack in the ground with like the blue light coming out. So it's like opening the portal that he wants to get to. Episode or three hundred two, season three, episode two, wedding crashers. So Duncan and Brian arrive. Gideon is still watching like a creep. He goes back to the well house, uses a key to open the gate. He calls one of his soldiers and another, and it makes them they're sort of echoes, so, so they're they're kind of realish or whatever. Tyler comes home. Bodie, they were didn't think he was coming. Bodie has been making a book with the drawings of all the keys, um, which isn't really a good idea. He accidentally uses a Hercules key on Tyler because Tyler kind of sneaks up behind him, you know, because he didn't. Then Bodhi didn't know Tyler was coming. Uh, um, and then he's like, how would you do that? And he's like, oh, use a Hercules key. And Tyler doesn't know what he's talking about. So he's, again, he's forgetting about the keys and all the magic stuff. Tyler says he's going back to Montana the day after the wedding. He's just there for that. Wedding preparations, doing all this stuff. Bodhi finds another key. Again, it's like, geez, how many keys? <laughs> so it's right on the long hand of the grandfather clock in the hall. So he takes it off. And of course he uses it right away. Who cares like what like dangers it could be? He opens as he turns it then the, the part of the clock opens up and there's like this big hourglass inside and there's like all these dials with roman numbers on there. Jamie comes in, Josh's daughter, and then he he turns the key whatever he disappears, makes him travel through time. He sees his ancestors. They talk about this chest, you know, that you can't open it without the key or something like that. They see him, and he's like, "Oh, I'm your, your, I'm from the future. I'm your great, 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 great." You know, he's trying to figure out like how far because he knows who they are, like in in terms of the family tree. But then the timer runs out, and he he goes back. And Jamie's like, "Where were you? You know, whatever you you know, you just disappeared, and you're back or something like that." And then I think I remember I think Nina then came in. And Bodhi's like, I found another key. And she like takes the key away from him or something like or or the Duncan, maybe Nina and Duncan came in. I'm forgetting now. So, anyways, wedding's about to start. Kinsey's singing at the wedding, which I mean she's got a good voice, but it just seemed a little weird. The super short vows, okay. Reception. Gideon and his dudes, they're so they're inside the house him and his his two dudes. They're just calmly ransacking the place. You know, everyone's like outside. One guy finds finds a plant key that Nina she was had it around her neck, but then she just left it on her dresser. Gideon finds Bodhi's journal with descriptions and drawings of all the keys. So he basically here here you go, bad guy. Here's all you need to know. He also draws a cabinet that says, "quote Good for storing keys." 
So it's like, hey, anyone who finds this, here's all our magic keys are in this cabinet. You just need to go to the cabinet. Tyler has been drinking a little at the reception, and then he sees a, a key on Kinsey's you know necklace, and he realizes, or she realizes, that, you know, he's starting to remember or something like that. The more he drinks, the more he remembers. So she's like, you know, she pours another. They both have a shot or something like that. Then he starts remember remembering Jackie dying, and he, then he's like, I don't want this, whatever. He goes inside. Um, he sees two soldiers like trying to break into the cabinet. And then they knock him down, whatever. Kinsey comes in. She has like the chain key that you just like whip it and it, whatever like that. Tyler's not sure what's going on or anything like that. And then uh, Kinsey realizes that they have the anywhere key because, you know, they, they take off. So they need a new place to hide the key. Bodhi says there's a Harlequin chest that he saw when he went in the past. It's like indestructible magic, but they don't know where the key is for that. Then, uh, you know, they don't say this around Tyler, obviously. But then Tyler says that he's going to stick around for a few days because of the intruders. Season one, episode three, five minutes past. Bodhi hears, guess what? What's he hear? He hears more whispering. There's like a, a deck of playing cards just sitting like on this little end table. There, the Joker cards on top and there's like a key. It's holding a key. He just reaches it and like kind of takes it off the deck and it like turns real. So it wasn't a key. Actually, it was part, I can't really explain it. And then Bodhi is jealous because, so Bodhi saw... Um, Nina saw his mom kiss Josh at the wedding and he was just like really bothered by that. You know, I guess it happens. And, and then, you know, she's going to go out and have breakfast and whatever like that. And he's like, she's going to forget about dad. And Kinsey's like, but she's happy. You don't want her to be happy. He's like, Bleh, whatever. So Kinsey goes back to the well house alone. And then she finally looks down as I guess no one's been there for a while. No one looked down. She looks down to well. She sees Eden's twisted body at the bottom. So then Gideon and his dudes, they're stealing clothes in someone someone else's house. They're, 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 they have a pool. They're having a barbecue. This girl comes in and sees them like upstairs, and she screams. And so then they use the anywhere key, so they leave before the parents can go up. So they're probably going to think their kid's crazy, whatever. A couple of the dudes, you know, the, the two dudes, they, they cut their hair so they can blend in. Um, Gideon doesn't really cut his hair. I thought they were all going to cut their hair to, you know, to try to be modern or whatever. Kinsey shows the other kids, uh, the film crew kids that are in on everything, Eden's body, because they didn't know what happened. She just disappeared. They thought they didn't know what, what happened. Did she run away? You know, what's going on? They don't know who did it because they're, they're like, yes, Kinsey's like, did you do this? She's like, no. They're, they're like, should we call the cops? What should we do? And Kinsey's like, well, we can't just leave the body there. You know, they just, they, and how do you explain it? And, you know, Bodhi, meanwhile, is rummaging through mom's drawers, her dresser drawers, because he wants that time shift key back because he wants to go see dad. He he went back and he saw talked to Duncan and he almost saw dad, but then uh, he went back. You know, the time ran out, whatever. So then um, Nina, she's walking by the house. She's like, um, what are you doing going through my drawers, whatever? And then he's, he's like, oh, you're fine with moving on and, and forgetting dad, but I'm not. And then she's like, you know, because she's like, I just want the key back. She's like, I got a better idea. So she uses the mind key and she's like, you know, you you can watch any memory. You know, you can check out any memory of, of me and your dad. <laughs> um, I would be a little careful there. <laughs> so, you know, she does it. They go in and they're like the three of them are camping and, you know, they're doing all the stuff. And then she notices that she's like sneaking a drink you know because she's she's clearly drunk and it's funny when you see drunk nina her hair is a little more wild <laughs> so i guess drinking makes her hair get a little like poofy or whatever like kind of like 80s rock, almost not quite 80s rock star but like close to that 
there's like one point she goes up the Bodhi, like the tickle them. She's like, oh, tickle monster's coming. And then she kind of almost pushes them in fire. Not quite, but that's what was kind of implied. So then like more stuff's going to happen. So then she wants to leave right away. So she's like, we got to go, Bodhi. But he's like, no, the memory's not over or whatever like that. Then he's just so annoying. And he's like, you know, you pulled me out so fast just because you want to go back to Josh. It's like, how old are you, Bodhi? He's in fifth grade. He's acting like he's like, like six or I don't know. The kids pull Eden's body out of the well. So they're going to dump her over the cliff, which is kind of reminiscent of what they did in the past, the Rendell and his friends. Then Kinsey's like, someone should say something. They all kind of say some stuff or whatever. And then she starts singing again. It's, it's, it is, it is actually kind of touching. They, cause she starts singing and then a couple of the other kids, then they all end up singing Hear You Me by Jimmy Eat World. I love that song. And it is a very emotional song, and and it's just it's it's kind of sad in a way. That so while Eden had her issues, and she was she was a, a biatch, she didn't you know no one really deserves to die, and then, you know she was steered the wrong way. You know she had she was kind of redeeming a little bit, right? And then they end up like throwing her, and again it like mirrors what happened in the past or something like that. Meanwhile, Nina is checking out more memories. She sees herself drinking, you know, while camping, whatever. She there's another time she wakes up late, and it turns out she missed Kinsey's play because she was passed out. And she's like, "Oh, why didn't you wake me up?" And like little five year old Kinsey's like, "We tried," or you know. Josh uh, brings Tyler to the town museum, and then he recognizes the soldier uniform. Then later. Uh, Gideon goes there and Josh sees him so he's like looking to try to open his cabinet he's like there's nothing there he's looking for his guns and he finds out that they're in the library so they go to the library to use keys to open up whatever and then the librarian comes like you can't do that and Gideon gets his knife and ends up scalping the poor librarian Bodie is snooping um, he finds the time shift key now Kinsey's maybe wondering if uh wait did he find it Kinsey's, I think she's wondering if mom is drinking now because she's acting weird and secretive. Yeah, so Bodhi uses a time shift key. Bodhi sees Dodge and Gabe while they're fighting upstairs. So I forgot what season, what episode it was. And then, so now there's there's two uh, Bodhis. This is when Bodhi was first, you know, tied with the chain key. And like Duncan's there, you know, Duncan's being like held down by, by Eden. She's got her, you know, foot on him, whatever. And then Duncan's like, you found a time shift key. He's like, this is not a good idea. And then Dodge decides that she wants a key. And so she changes herself back because she was um, in Gabe or whatever. And Bodhi's like, wait, this isn't supposed to happen. And then he runs. She chases him. The time is about to run out because, you know, he set his phone timer. So he's running. She grabs his ankle and, and then he, he's back at the clock. But then she's there. You hear, thanks for the ride. So, okay, Bodhi, you are a complete and utter idiot. He tries faking her out by using the ghost key. Like, you know, he's laying on the floor and the door is open. And then she, like, looks at him. So then she picks him up, throws him outside. She goes outside, too, so they're both ghosts. And then she comes back in right away, jumps into Bodhi's body, closes the door. So Bodhi is stuck as a ghost. uh, Dodge's body is just laying there empty. And Dodge is inside Bodhi's body. So then, season three, episode four, Deep Cover, 
Gideon senses another is here, so he can sense that that Dodge is, is there. Bodie Dodge, meanwhile, is is eating like a pig at breakfast and like trying to scarf all his stuff down. Kinsey comes out and he's like, first come, first serve, or something like that. And he takes like a stack of pancakes and then like tosses her one. So he's being like super rude, and they obviously notice something is, is weird. Uh, Nina has a mug and it starts like icing over because I guess Bodie's like trying to give a, a hint or something like that. Uh, Bodie Dodge sees it, like, you know, knocks the key out. And they're like, Bodie, what are you doing? And he's like, Oh, there was a bug. I was just trying to protect you. So they're, you know, they know something is going on with him. And then uh, Kinsey is like, she goes uh, to Bodie. She's like, you got to be careful with these keys. She's like, I found this in the lock. It was the, the, the ghost key or whatever like that. And so she holds it out to Bodie and Bodie, like Bodie Dodge, Dodge can't grab it. You can't take a key from a lock. Reluctantly goes and she's able to take the key. Bodie Dodge can take the key. Loophole. Because now Bodie, Bodie Dodge is kind of Bodie, Bodie Dodge is a lock. <laughs> um, then Carly, the girl that Tyler went out with, she shows up at the house. So she drove from Montana. And he's like, what are you doing here? Whatever. And she's like, well, you didn't show up for work. You know, it's been days. You didn't answer my texts. And then he's like, uh, what? And then she's like, no, 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 I'm not the crazy one here. So she she's like it's just that when someone i care about doesn't you know I, i'm I get worried or whatever bodie dodge is rude at josh a drop off he, he like calls him a dinosaur or whatever because he's like hey nice kicks bodie and whatever in the hall um jamie is like walking with him she's like why were you why'd you say that to my dad and, and bodie's like it was a joke and then this kid bumps into bodie like whoops and then bodie dodge grabs the kid shoves him against the door like the glass kind of like cracks a little bit and he's like, if you ever do that again, I'll rip out your entrails or something like that. The kid freaks out. And Jamie hears that and and she's just like, uh, okay. At home, uh, Bodie dodges looking for more keys, looking everywhere. And then he's rude to Carly and he's like, am I supposed to know who you are? And then Tyler's like, oh, this is Carly, whatever, you know, and like that. And he's like, oh, not, he's like, you fox. You always did like, you know, you always did prefer brunettes or something like that. And Tyler's like, uh, Bodie? <laughs> Then Nina calls down because Nina decided that the kids should go out to dinner, you know, because uh, she and Josh were going to go on a date. But she's like, maybe the kids should come on a date too, you know, to try to whatever like that. So Bodie or Dodge is not happy about that. And then so did they uh, they go out to, to to dinner and Dodge is again eating like like a pig, trying to eat all the chips. And you know they're saying you know you can't do that or whatever. And then I guess Bodie Dodge can hear Gideon, so he's like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom, but but. Bodie Dodge ends up going outside. Gideon's there, and then they they kind of talk to each other or something like that. And uh, so Dodge mentions the keys and all that stuff, and how she he she can take them now. And she's like, I can help you, you know, learn how to use them. And Gideon's basically says he's not interested in using the keys individually. And he, you know, because he has you know a bunch of keys that he you know he tells Bodie Dodge. And he squeezes the keys together, and then the ground, you know, it starts cracking. And there's there's the blue light. So he's like, all the keys together can open the portal, whatever. So Bodie Dodge says, uh, you know, if if I, um, what do I if I help you find all the keys, you know, what do I get? And he's like, you can serve as my right hand in the new world. And Dodge's like, okay. So then he returns, and Nina's like, where were you? Because he was, I guess, gone for a bit. And he's like, oh, my stomach hurts. He's like. And they're like, yeah, you ate all those chips. No, no kidding. He's like, I, I think I need to go home and whatever. So then Nina's like, it was probably for the best. 
So, and then as they get up, Jamie's like, seriously, what's the matter with you? And he's like, what's the matter with you? So Carly and Tyler are playing cards in his room. It, you know, they're, they're kind of talking, staring. She tries kissing him and he sort of like pulls away. And she's like, okay. <laughs> then um, he finally tells her, he's like, I had a girlfriend. And she's like, oh, let me guess. She broke your heart. And then he's like, she died. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. And he's like, she had an aneurysm. I was with her. We had all these plans, you know, blah, 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 and so forth. Bodhi Dodge at back at the house, finds a cabinet, has a big smile on, on his face, opens it up. It's empty. So much for your intel, Captain. And then uh, the next day in the morning, uh, Kinsey comes down. Uh, Carly's there. She, you know, she made coffee, whatever. Tyler's still sleeping. Kinsey says, "Oh, we're, you know, friends are. My friends are coming over. We're gonna watch a movie we made." And she's like, "Oh, really?" And she's like, "You want to watch it?" And she's like, "Yeah." So then they, they watch the movie, and she thinks it's cool. Whatever. They all they're all excited. And Bodhi dodges there too. He's like, "Oh, bravo!" And and Kinsey's like, "Have you been there all this time?" And whatever. Then the kids are going to go. They have to do more tourism stuff. And Bodie's like, oh, I'll, I'll help clean up. Because, you know, he wants, Bodie Dodge wants to try to get more keys. So so Bodie Dodge talks to Doug because he's kind of like the last one there. And then he's like, you used a bunch of keys to make that movie, right? And he's like, yeah, you know that. And then Bodie Dodge is like, uh, do, you, do you know where the keys are? You know, Kinsey tell you? And he's like, I, I don't really know. He's like, but you'd probably know. Then he's like, think a little harder and he's like ready to threaten doug but then zadie's like are you coming because they have to go do more tours and stuff so then he leaves and bodie's supposed to clean up the mess but he just throws a garbage bag on the floor carly talks to uh someone having my mic there um got turned around uh carly talks to kinsey about tyler and she's like you know this place isn't what i thought it'd be like you know the way taylor tyler talked about it or the way he didn't talk about it and then she's like, he told me about his girlfriend. And so Kinsey's like, yeah, you know, it kind of seems like he's happier in Montana or whatever. So, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with Tyler. Ellie and Rufus are driving to the house and she tells him that their old house where they were at just sold. And then she's saying, you know, I'm thinking maybe, you know, a fresh start would be good. He's like, no, he's like, I want to stay here. He's like, you just came here because you wanted to, you know, to sell the old place or whatever. So, you know, she's because she's getting a lot of flack from what happened from disappearing. People think she's crazy and, you know, whatever. So, you know, she's trying to deal with the, with that as well. Carly and Tyler go on a hike. And, you know, then she's saying how things are great there. And she's like, she's like, I'd kill for what you have. You know, people want the best for you. And he's like, well, it's not really like that, you know. So she's you know trying to talk some sense into him. Bodhi Dodge is still looking for the keys. Kinsey finds him like looking under bed, her bed. And then he's like, oh, it's dusty in there. You know, you should clean it or whatever. And then he's like, you know, are you sure the keys are okay? And she's like, yeah. And then Bodhi Dodge starts to walk out and she sees the Bodhi's book in his back pocket. And she's like, wait, where'd that come from? I thought the intruders took it. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, I missed, it was in my backpack. I must have messed up. And and she's like, oh, well, you know, you, you got to be careful. Then he's like, uh, you know, maybe we should check on those keys again because you're not the most careful yourself. And he's like, ever since Tyler left and you were put in charge, things have really gone to poop. And Kinsey's like, did you just say that? And he's like, you know, get out of my room. And then Rufus comes in and he's like, Bodie? And Bodie Dodge turns around. Rufus, what are you doing here? And he's like, well, we were supposed to hang out. And he's like, oh, yeah. So they, they go in another room. 
So Bodhi is st- Bodhi Dodge is still looking around. They're like in in like the, the library or whatever. They're still looking for keys. Rufus trying to you know show Bodhi his latest comic that he's he's working on, and Bodhi's just totally ignoring him or anything like that. And then uh, Rufus starts figuring out like something's not right or something like that. And then he basically, long story short, Rufus figures out that he's like, "You're not Bodhi." He's like, "What'd you do with him?" Because obviously that happened to him. He meant because Bodhi Dodge mentions like, "Oh, did, I, I'm trying to remember where I put the keys." You, did I ever say anything about a, a hiding place like Dodge had? And he's like, "How'd you know about that?" He's like, "You told me, duh." He's like, "No, the only people who knew about that was me and my mom." So Rufus figured it out. Then he's like, "What'd you do with with my friend or whatever like that?" They start getting the fight and stuff like that. Like, and Bodhi Dodge gets like some blood on, on his nose, and he's like, "You're human now," or you know, like whatever. So they're they're fighting, and Bodhi Dodge is trying to slam Rufus's head in like the grand piano, or whatever. Nina and Ellie come in, and then um, Bodhi Dodge is like, or they they call in, they're about to come in. If you say anything, I'll kill you both. And then Bodhi Dodge is like, he attacked me. He had a crazy tantrum. And then Nina's like, and you know. Rufus doesn't say anything, so Nina's like, okay, or Ellie's like, we'll, we'll go. They leave, and then Nina's like, what's going on? He's like, you know, Rufus wouldn't get in a fight with you. Then he's like, uh, I, I, I miss Dad. I don't want Josh to replace him. And she's like, that's not going to happen, and that's no excuse for how you've been behaving, whatever. So he he's like, she's like, you're going to call up Rufus and apologize. And so he walks upstairs. In the car, Rufus won't tell Ellie what happened. You know, won't say anything. Tyler tells Carly that she was right. You know about what she's saying that he does need to stay here to you know for a bit to figure things out and you know she's gonna drive back home and you know he says that he'll be or he'll be there or something like that he gives her like a big old smooch so maybe at some point he's gonna go back then tyler knocks on kinsey's door and she's like oh i get it you know you're gonna go back you know whatever and he's like no i'm not leaving he's like i want to be here for, for for you and he's like, I need you to let me back in. And she's like, well, it's not as easy as it sounds. And he's like, well, you have to try because I hate the way things are right now. And she's like, well, when you left, you decided to forget some stuff because he made this decision and she's been trying to honor it. He's like, well, I'm changing my mind. He's like, what did I forget? And she's like, well, it's not something I can tell you. I have to show you. Then he's like, well, show me. So Kinsey goes down to the basement and opens a Harlequin chest where all the keys are. You know, she gets the one key that will, I forget what it's called, the one that will bring the memories back that, that Nina used and Duncan, they use on Duncan, whatever. But as she walks down the stairs, you see, you know, it, it's like the, the classic like cellar stairs that are like with the big gaps. So you see Bodie sitting under the stairs, just right there. So she walks down, gets, opens the, the, the chest, gets the key out, walks back up, doesn't even see him. I mean, if we can see him, she should be able to see him. And yeah, you're not going to necessarily look under the stairs, but she should be able to see him if, if we could see him. So she she goes upstairs. So now Bodie Dodge knows where the keys are. But the, the bigger question is, how long was Bodie Dodge sitting under the stairs in the basement, waiting for someone to come down, hoping that someone would, would come and show Bodie Dodge where I don't know what pronouns to use for Bodie Dodge, and 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 open where the, the hidden keys are. It's, it's just it's a, this is a problem with the show. Just when things are starting, to get, I'm like, wow, I'm getting into, I'm getting excited, and then they do something ridiculous like that. Plus the fact that Bodie Dodge went upstairs, but oh, all this time Nina, I don't know where where. So I guess it makes sense that Bodie Dodge went downstairs because Nina's like kind of looking around his room trying to figure out like why is my kid acting so weird? You know what is going on. 
so Kinsey goes back upstairs, uses the key on Tyler's, you know, so you have to do it like under the clavicle, you know, keyhole opens up, you turn it, it uh, kind of burns and he starts remembering everything. So then we see Nina looking around Bodhi's room and she looks in the closet. There's nothing there. Closes the door. You know, there's a mirror, big mirror in the door. She's just standing there. And then she looks under his bed and she kind of sees something sticking out, goes over to bed and there's like a rug or something there. So she starts pulling it and she sees uh, Dodge's body there. So just like just the unconscious whatever body. And then she's like, she stands up. She's like in shock. And then Bodhi Dodge comes in. Mom, what are you doing in my room? It's like, okay, this is so stupid because you're just a, whatever, 10-year-old kid, 11-year-old kid. She's probably in there picking up your laundry or doing some of that because I really doubt you do your own. You're such a little... Never mind. <laughs> but that's a that's a pretty good uh, cliffhanger right there. So we'll, we'll stop with that. Um, that went a lot faster than I thought. I, I was worried that talking... About, so yeah, I could do more, but we'll just break it down like that. That's the first half of the season. Talk about the the rest next week. I do like the show, believe it or not. I, I, I uh, yeah. All right, Harley Quinn, season three, episode six, the Killing Vote. Uh, let's see. So first of all, I'll say I, I like, which is weird. Okay, I actually, now I think about it. I should think about this before I start recording. I I like this episode, but what I just realized there really wasn't any Harley or, or Ivy in this. It was a uh, mainly Joker. So it's the killing vote. Uh, Joker is walking home with groceries and then Batman jumps down at him and Joker's like scared. He like drops his bag of groceries, like runs, he goes down this alley and then Batman lifts him up. He's like, I'm, I'm not doing anything or whatever like that. Then, it ends up it's not Batman it's this woman this woman Debbie and she's like talking about all the stuff like mentions his lemon squares and everything he wakes up and he has like a sleep apnea mask on whatever and he, he's next to Bethany his I don't know if they're married but anyways he's he they're pretty much together you know Bethany and her her, her two kids uh, Benicio and Sophia so he's been having having nightmares about this Debbie and she's been really mean she's one of the parents at the at the kids school then we get this like cheesy uh, sitcom sitcom opening with you know Joker and you see like all the family and all this stuff everything like that happens. Then we see Two Face. He's complaining to Jim that he spent four million dollars on ads and these like custom Pez dispensers, whatever. Barbara's like, you don't need these things. You need, but then she's like, but you know what do you stand for? And he's like, uh, and and he doesn't have an answer. And Two Face is like, we'll have to practice on your you know your your trailing off when you don't have an answer or something like that. Joker's complaining about Debbie. She's using, there was this like dual immersion program and he really wanted the, the kids to get into it so they can embrace their heritage and all that stuff. But it's like so limited and the kids don't get in there. But Debbie, she was able to, you know, she knows people or whatever and was able to use her power to get her way. So like her kids are, are in that. And then he decided that he's just going to try to butter her up. So he like, she's in her car and he like menacingly like knocks on a window. She kind of freaks out. And then he's like smiles. He's got this big like tinfoil tray of arroz con pollo. And he's like offering to help her. And, and she's kind of being rude and, and racist and, and stuff like that. So she's really no help. And she says that, you know, it's probably just like a budget thing. So she's like, oh, talk to the mayor. But the mayor actually died. So she's like, oh, wait, you know, he's just dead. So why don't you just go to city hall and file a complaint? Uh, because the mayor just died, Two Face and Jim are celebrating because there isn't a running another running candidate. But Barbara is like, 
shouldn't you like you know, still like think about this first and but they're obviously they're not then on the news it the breaking news is old joker's back because at city hall there's like explosion he's standing there with goons they got guns and, and stuff like that and then he's like i tried doing things differently whatever like this i tried settling down he's like things are going to change right now he like grabs someone points a gun to their head and people are like ah, and then he like pulls the trigger instead of like you know the, the bang like banners that pop out of guns it's just like vote for joker so he's running for mayor so he's talking about how he wants to start with like an education reform program and it's basically because of dual immersion thing he also mentions like dual health care and he, he says that you know imagine what it would be like if arkham had you know mental health care and whatever stuff like that and he says you know all this stuff and he wants to rich one percenters to pay for it so a lot of people seem to think that this is a good idea Jim thinks it's some sort of trap. He's like, you know, Joker is, is Batman's arch enemy and I'm Batman's best friend, which he's not. Then Barbara's like, well, you know, Joker does have some good policies. And Two-Face says, well, they have to do something diabolical. But Barbara's like, is like, no, you don't. And she tells her dad, she's like, you need to make a decision right now. Either, you know, you fire Two-Face or I can't work with you. He's like, well, why do I have to make, you know, why does it have to be either or? You know, why can't I choose Two-Face you and, and then you second? And so she walks out. Joker is, you know, working on different things, but now it turns out he's starting to get too busy for his kids' activities because, like, they're like, oh, are you going to come to my play? And he's like, oh, I can't do that, you know. So that's kind of causing a little problem. And then uh, Two-Face calls Joker, and he, this is like, you know, he's doing some other stuff. He, so Two-Face says that he has Joker's son, his, his stepson, then he, you know, he's, he's threatening him, all this stuff like that. He ends up, like, quoting, like, he can't, like, stop now because he's in too deep and He's, he's quoting some 41 lyrics <laughs> and he's like, well, some 41 was playing in a car on the way here or whatever. Cause you know, he's talking to Jim when he explains the, the plan, whatever. And it also turns out that two Face is responsible for the mayor's death. He poisoned him. And he's like, well, my name is two Face. What do you expect? Or so there's this big plan. Uh, Joker's kid is going to be strapped in this. He, he's in a roller coaster car and the roller coaster, it's like at this rundown place. So he's basically going to go flying off the busted tracks. Joker shows up and then he's like, okay, I'll drop out. And he's like, you know, I was only running, you know, for my family. And then so, so Two-Face gets into the roller coaster car to the free Benicio or whatever like that. But Joker or Two-Face hits the button anyways, because again, because he's, he's Two-Face. So he's going to go along with the scheme. Is he, you know, the, the roller coaster car starts going. And because uh, Two-Face says that he wants to be the DA again or something like that, too. So Jim is like all upset. He's like, you can't do this, whatever. So he ends up punching like Two-Face and he tries saving the Joker and Benicio. He gets it like in the next roller coaster cart. So they're going like jumps over and he's like, grab my hand. And they jump out and all this stuff like that, whatever. After they get out, then uh, Joker yells at because, you know, or Jim's going to actually shoot Two-Face. He's like, you've gone too far. I have to do this. And Joker's like, he's like, no, you can't kill, you know, Two-Face, whatever. He's like, that won't solve anything. He's like, you're Commissioner Gordon. You know, you make things better. And Jim's like, yeah, you're right, whatever. You know, maybe being a commissioner isn't isn't so bad. And Joker's like, well, you know, I just want to be a better person, and, you know, someone that, you know, for the kids. Or, and Benicio ends up calling him dad. He's like, oh, you call me dad instead of stepdad. He's like, you know, whatever, all this stuff like that. So Jim says he's going to drop out. He's like, you know, you're a better man. You can be the mayor or something like that. He's like, it's like, I'll be the commissioner. It'll be, you know, it'll be nice working for you. And Joker's like, no. He's like, my first act as mayor will be dismantling the police department. He's like, you're out of a job. 
So then there's like this voiceovers, a new dawn on Gotham City. It's, it's kind of like an ad. And all these kids have like clown face paint. And it's like like Joker do is like the, the, the theme or whatever. And then so there's all this stuff going on. There's like, you know, people are celebrating. And then Ivy and Harley arrive home. And they're, for, they're like, we were only gone for four days. And everything's like just nuts. So then Debbie goes to pull into her parking spot, but Joker's car there, and it, it says parking for mayor now, and she's she's mad or whatever, and he's like, I'm Debbie's nightmare now, and that's where it ends. So, so like I said, it's, it's kind of weird. I didn't realize it until I, I started recording that I really like this episode, and mainly because there's probably no Harley shriek, unnecessarily shrieking the lines, so... And it's weird because I've been okay with Joker, but I did kind of end up liking Joker a little more in this episode because, you know, we did see him a little more human and, and he is still diabolical or whatever, but he's he's not as as completely evil as before, maybe. So we'll have to see what happens. So it was a fun episode. Okay, then this week's main feature is She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. And I really liked it. I, I, I thought the show was a lot of fun. And that's really what I want. It does feel a little different. It does feel a little out of place from, you know, all the other Disney Plus or whatever MCU shows and all that. And I, I think that's fine. I mean, if you look at how, like, WandaVision, that was so different. You know, if you compare, like, WandaVision, you know, Falcon and Winter Soldier was, like, pretty much serious. WandaVision was, was kind of wonky in the delivery, but then it did kind of, like, explain, like, what the heck was going on. This isn't a sitcom or whatever. Uh, Hawkeye was pretty much like MCU. What what else do we have? Uh, there's just something. Oh, I mean Loki. Loki was kind of all over the place, but you know, Loki was. I mean, there was some comedy in there, but it was also serious. But She Hulk, I, I liked it. It's a little different, and I I, I like that these diff- different shows do kind of have slightly different feels. That it's not just the same thing, and that's something that a lot of people complain about, or a lot of things that I hear people are like, like, oh, all the Marvel movies, it's just the same thing over and over again. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think it is a little different, you know, depending on a director and the franchise and the characters. But I get it. You know, there there is a lot of the same thing. I'm all for it. It's like give me more and more and more. You know, I I, I dig it. But with She-Hulk Attorney at Law, there is more of a the comedy. You know, it's it's a Marvel comedy, so it's, I don't feel like it's overly done. It it feels like it's about the same. Maybe there's a tad more, but this is supposed to be like a lawyer sort of sick, not really necessarily a sitcom show, but you know, there, there's a little bit more of that. So it is an interesting approach with everything. And the episode, I think it was like 37 minutes. So it was a little shorter. You know, it's a little closer to the 30-minute mark, which I do like. I have to, it's, it's stupidly, I do really like the 30-minute shows for podcasts. I think it's it's easier to watch and, and digest and everything like that. But I also can appreciate the 30-minute shows because I feel like they don't mess around. And I, I know I've said this before. It's, they just get they get right down to the nitty-gritty, and there's no fluff to try. It's like, oh, we got to be, you know, 40 five or 44 minutes or it's got to be 57 minutes or so i think i feel like with the the 30 minute shows that they just really get down to it and you know tell the story that being said yeah when when if it's a longer show you get more content and you know there's more opportunities for cool things and all that so it's it's just weird you know whatever trade-off so with the first episode uh normal amount of rage and i could see i i think i i i saw that people were negative or review bombing it before the episode even aired which is just so ridiculous that people that 
to take the time and the energy like to coordinate like whether it's like trying to get a hashtag going or something like that it's like oh let's just you know post all this bad stuff and i always mention like the the facebook news things that always come up i don't know how this algorithm why it's targeting me with these sites that are and and maybe it has to do with like facebook ads maybe they're paying a little bit to, to try to get me to see these news posts but I go through the news posts, and, and a lot of it is, is mainly for the laughs. I won't click on them. It's like I refuse to click on it. If, it's almost like if it's showing up in my Facebook news feed, I don't want to support them in any way. But a lot of these sites, they're just so angry, so negative. And anytime something it's, – it's, I just don't get it. And it, it's – they just – all they do, they, they spend all their energy just complaining and tearing something about, just trying to be so negative about it. I get that you're trying to create this false sense of, you know, whatever reporting, you know, trying to skew people's opinion before they get a chance to really, you know, make a decision for themselves. But I also feel like in a way you, you are still giving it publicity, you know, cause they say, you know, any publicity is good publicity or whatever. So some people might be like, like, Oh, this is so bad. I, I should better see how bad is it? You know, that could be good for kicks. And then there might be like, what, what are you talking about? This was really good. So I, I, it's just so weird. And of course the other thing is because this is a strong female character and I'm not talking about her strength. You know, some people are going to be complaining about that. They're going to say, Oh, it's this or that, or, you know, it's too woke or this. I don't know. I mean, I keep seeing people mentioning woke left and right. It's just like, if you don't like it, don't waste your energy on it. It's not worth it. And if you don't like it, you don't have to tell other people because some people do like it. Everyone has their own opinion. I like She-Hulk. I I've, I've loved the characters, especially since the John Byrne days. You know, I, I and he, like in Fantastic Four, which is going to be coming up on Secret Podcast. So it, it's just it's it's a lot of fun, and and the show I think reflects a lot of that. So you know it it pulls into you know the pulls from that the marvel comedy thing i love the fact that we have mark ruffalo in, in the, the first episode to really make that connection and and just to smooth that continuity it does seem like it, it kind of throws the origin pretty quickly but at the same time I, I think it does a good job balancing it so it starts off so episode 101 normal amount of rage i may have already said that we see Jennifer Walters, she's in her office. You know, she's practicing her closing arguments for this case. And of course, this other lawyer, you know, he feels he could do it better because he's a dude. Her paralegal assistant, Nikki, which is like her best friend or whatever, she's like, oh, that was great. You're going to do it and everything like that. And she even says, and, and if you really want to do something, you can hulk out at the end. So it turns out that Nikki knows she's a hulk. Then as they're walking out of her office, she's like, oh, just a minute. And Jen comes back in the office, turns the camera. She's like, yep. She's like, I'm a hulk. And, you know, she and whatever. So she's like, I, I know this is probably going to be something that's going to be distracting. So I'm going to fill you in on this before, you know, we talk about the court case or something like that. So it starts off a few months ago. She went on a road trip with her cousin, Bruce. And we see, you know, she's driving a car. They're, they're just driving along through these, like, whatever, mountainy roads. And he has this device that keeps, you know, he wears that on his arm. It keeps him in human form, and that's actually helping his arm heal. So, you know, his arm got messed up from uh, Infinity War or Endgame, whatever, Endgame, right? Then, you know, she starts talking about Steve Rogers because he's like, oh, here we go again. So her whole thing is she she basically thinks Steve, Captain America, was a virgin. You know, he, the time period he grew up, then he joined the service, became Captain America, was in the war, and then it was frozen in ice. And when he came back, it was just like one big adventure after another, you know, whatever. 
all this stuff like that. But then there's this big spaceship kind of flies out in front of them. So they end up going off the road and, and, and the car flips a bunch of time. Jen gets out. And as she's getting out, she ends up like kind of cutting her arm, like on, on the glass and stuff like that. She goes over and gets Bruce out because he's kind of knocked out. He didn't surprisingly didn't turn into Hulk, but I guess he's got the device, so you know he's not going to automatically Hulk out. So she's pulling him out, and then he's like, "Oh, Jen. he's like I'm bleeding or something like that." So his blood drips into her cut, and then she looks at her arms and her veins like start really going green, and you don't see her right away. It's, it's more like a reflection in, in like the car. She hulks out and then she just like runs off in, into the woods and uh, Bruce's inhibitor got damaged too. So he's, he also hulks out like as he's laying next to the crash. So then Jen wakes up in the woods and then, you know, she starts walking. She, she finds this little bar by like on the side of the road or whatever. She goes around the back and uses the bathroom to kind of clean up. You know, she's just like dirty and bl- a little, you know, bloody and bruised or whatever. Some women come in and they're like, oh, who did this to you? It's like, oh, whatever he did, he wasn't worth it. Or she, you know, or whatever. And, you know, they, they start helping her out and, you know, they give her like a coat and they're trying to like fix her makeup. She's like, oh, they give her like new shoes and all this stuff like that. She's like, no, no. She's like, I, I don't need makeup. They're like, yeah, you do. And she's like, I just need to call, call my cousin. So she's like, can I use the phone? And they all like whip out their phones or whatever like that. So she's, then she's sitting outside and then guess what happens? It seems like some, I can see some people complaining about this, but I, have to assume and i hate to this is probably a reality that a lot of women have to go through so as she's sitting out there waiting for bruce to come some dudes come up to her hey what's your name and she's just like oh no i'm just waiting for you know whatever right where are you going oh we're just trying to be friendly and you know she, even she as she walks away she's like oh i think my boyfriend's coming and they're saying all stuff then she just like hulks out and growls at them and, and they're like ah freaking out and you see some big green like tackles her and like knocks her down she wakes up again in the bed and there's like some clothes like laying there for her. It's like this beach house. She, she's walking around. She's calling out, and she, and she goes down this like basement. It's like a bunker lab or whatever. Hulk is there. She's like, "You're Hulk again," and he's like, "Smart Hulk." He's like, oh, "I didn't come up with it." So he says that they're in Mexico. This is where he spent the blip, like merging all his like burnt banner identities or something like that. And he says how you know Tony built this place for him. You know Tony Stark. It's almost like he's like name dropping whatever. And, you know, he says that how it was just a loan. He said he'd come back and claim it, but obviously he can't do that now. So then he asks if she's okay. And she's like, yeah. Then she's like, wait, did we hit a spaceship? He's like, yeah, it was, it was a, a Sakaran class eight courier craft, probably trying to deliver a message. She's like, I, sh- I should probably, you know, get to the bottom of that. And he's like, weird stuff just happens when you're a Hulk. And then he's like, you know, we, but we got to, you know, get down to what was going on with you. And she's like, wait, I changed, right? He's like, I tried to warn you. He's like, you know, you got a lethal dose of gamma radiation. And she's like, lethal? Does that mean I'm going to die? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I'm just some other stuff I want to tell you. She kind of like hits. She's like, you can't just like end a, a sentence, right? you know, pause right there or whatever. So he shows her like on a screen. She's like, look, he's like, we share a rare combination of genetic factors that allow us to synthesize gamma radiation into something else. He's like, you know, I've been analyzing your blood and everything. And, and it's the way it, it synthesizes, you know, the radiation. I, I've been able to completely heal my arm. And, you know, she's like, oh, because I'm better than you? He's like, no, it, it may be, you know, different. And she's like, but different in a better way. 
she says that okay you know he's analyzed things so she's like fix me and she's like you know give me your inhibitor device so i can use that he's like but that was you know i made that for me it was you know specifically calibrated and she's like well then then you know change it and he's like oh but you know i've been struggling with this for years he's like i'm, I'm sorry to say there's no going back and he says that you know, she's gonna have to change her life yes she has to avoid situ you know stressful situations she has to avoid people she's like i can't you know stay away from people it's like how would i be able to work He's like, well, yeah, you know, you can't go back to your job. You know, what? You probably should just stay here until you learn how to deal with your Hulk self. And she's like, how long is that going to take? And he brings out this big three-ring binder. He's like, oh, you know, you're prepared to be on a multi-year journey. You know, you're about to embark on it, whatever. And she's like, well, how long is this going to take? And he's like, oh, you know, about 15 years, give or take. And she's like, 15 years. She's like, I have a life. I have a career. You know, what all this stuff. So then he puts her like in this little like lab device. I think they released this like a trailer clip for this. And, you know, she's got this helmet cause they're trying to measure the, like the threshold of her triggers. And he's saying that, you know, usually it's like anger or fear or whatever. And she's like, those are the baseline of any woman's existence, whatever. So the room then starts like closing in, like the wall starts moving towards her and there's like these metal saw blades spinning at her. And she's like, what? She's like freaking out or anything. She hulks out, pushes the wall back, you know, the, with the blades. And then at the door, she like Rawr, pushes it off. And she's like, she's like, like, you know, growling and whatever. And Hulk's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He's like, easy, easy. And she's like, why are you talking to me like I'm a stray horse? And then he's like, Jen? He's like, wait, you're still Jen now? He's like, this is incredible. He's like, you don't have an alter ego? And she's like, no. He's like, you don't have an alter ego? You're the only one in there? He's like, he's like I think I'm jealous. Is that what I'm feeling? Whatever. He says, um, but, you know, she can't control when she turns back to Jen or whatever. And she's like, well, how do you do it? You know, how do you turn back, you know, human or whatever? He's like, well, you know, usually I fall out of a jet or I get knocked out by a robot or, you know, I'd, I'd wake up as Banner. He's like, or, you know, one time, you know, Natasha for a little while, she would tell me a lullaby. And she's like, what's what's that about? He's like, ah, it, you know, it was a strange time. or something. So it's like almost like they're kind of making fun of it, which I thought it was silly, whatever. But she just wants to leave. You know, she wants to get back, you know, for her career, you know, she's still paying for her law school, you know, all that stuff like that. But he's like, you know, you, you haven't really thought this, you know, through, you haven't thought through it all. He's like, you know, one mistake could be life or death. You know, regular anger means, you know, it could mean death or destruction. And he's like, once people start seeing you as a monster, it just, it doesn't go away. So she's like, fine. So then he starts teaching her like some mindfulness and yoga. She's like, oh, I'm surprised you're into this. And he's like, oh no, it's, you know, there's scientific reason. You know, it's not spiritualness. And she's like, uh-huh. Uh, and then there's another time she's like, you've seen this in the trailer. She's sleeping and then he puts an air horn right up to her and she like hulks out right away. And he's like, okay, you're gonna have to reinforce the bed and you know, stuff like that. And then he's talking about how she's going to need two wardrobes. And he's like, who's your best friend? And she's like, Nikki. And he's like, no spandex spandex, your best friend. They do like boulder tossing and, and you can see there's like this competitive nature. And that's what I like the fact that they're like cousins. So, Again, immediately, there's no going to be there's not going to be any sexual tension. I cannot stand that when you have a male and female character and they force, you know, this connection between them. Yeah, it's possible there may be a connection, but it doesn't have to be automatic just because you have you know the opposite sex happening. So it, it, they got this. It's almost like a brother sister thing. So I, I just like how they they really like egg each other on. So they, they do jumping, they do balancing and, you know, smashing the ground. She's doing really well and everything like that. And she's like, oh, this is easy. And then he like shoves her off the cliff and, 
and you know she like flips him off and she jumps back up and so he's saying that you know yeah there are, there's also some upsides to being a hulk you know their bodies metabolize alcohol differently so they can drink so much or whatever like that so they're drinking at the little bar that he and tony made or something like that well he's like well tony mostly just drank and and then uh, the next day she wakes up she's like you didn't tell me you'd still have hulk size hangovers or whatever so all this is going on. She still wants to return to her career. You know, she says that she's great at controlling her anger when she's catcalled in the street, when incompetent men explain to her own area of expertise to her. You know, she does it pretty much every day because if she doesn't, she'll get called emotional or difficult or might just literally get murdered. And again, I know some people are be like, oh, blah, blah. It's, it's a reality that women have to deal with. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It should not happen. So and and as she's saying all this, she kind of hulks out, and he's like, "See?" And she's like, "No." She's like, "I'm doing this." And then she like changes right back to Jen. He's like, "Oh, this is completely new territory." And then he's like, "I think," or she says that you know she's outgrown his binder, and and then so she gets up. She's like, "I'm borrowing your Jeep. I'm going to go back to L.A. You can pick it up later." And then he's like, "Oh no!" He's like, "Like it or not, you're a superhero now." So they start arguing, and it leads to like fighting and stuff like that. He's like, "Oh, I really hate to do this." he does like the thunderclap at her she goes flying he's like well actually you know part of me did want to do that because he's like why won't you listen to someone who's been through this before and again it's almost like i don't think he's necessarily supposed to be mansplaining or hulk explaining but he kind of is and you know she like tries clapping too he's like oh that's all you got and and then she does it again and it does work it like it's like hurting his ears so she just does it a lot not as powerful as his but it brings him down you know knocks him down so and then you know more fighting and stuff like that they end up smashing into the bar and he's like oh my bar he's like you're fixing this so they end up fixing it and then she's gonna head out he's like oh if you want to go back be a lawyer he's like fine he's like i'm okay with it or you know i accept it and she looks at the camera is like he doesn't mean that and then he like looks at her like right away and she like looks back and then she like kind of glances at us so with the the looking breaking a fourth wall they don't overdo it so far so I, I like, and again, it happened in a Hulk comic, in a She-Hulk comics. So, it's not a Deadpool thing. This was before Deadpool did it. Then uh, she's, you know, she's heading out, whatever. And he's like, you know, remember, I'm, I'm the only other person in the world who knows what you're going through. You can call me anytime. And then she's like, and that's how it happened. She's like, and she's like, no crazy Hulk stuff since. She's like, so my family knows, Nikki knows, and now you know. So she's like, back to the case, and she's like, lawyer show. So the court case is going on, you know, and it, it sounds like it's a bunch of crap. Like the guy is like, you know, he may not have had knowledge that he was harming anyone, you know, depending on your definition of knowing or whatever like that. So it's time for uh, for Jen to do her closing argument. And, of course, the other lawyer is like, don't screw this up, Walters. So she gets up to give her closing arguments, and push, the, the wall smashes in. And it's Titania. She, for some reason, she smashed in the wall. And, 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 you know, everyone's like, like freaking out and kind of cowering, stuff like that. Nikki's like, you got to do your thing. And, and Jen's like, now in front of everyone, she's like, yeah, it's your civic duty. So she's like, oh, she's like, I really like this outfit. So she's about to change. And, and then Nikki's like, your shoes, you know, she doesn't have to wear shoes. So she takes off her, her heels, whatever, you know, blazer rips a little bit, whatever. And Titania's like, who the hell are you? And she's like, Jennifer Walters, attorney at law. And then titania throws this big like desk or something like that at the jury she catches it throws it back at her uh, titania does this flying kick at her and she like, punches her she goes flying back she's knocked out against the wall and then she turns back to jen kind of fixes her her blazer a little bit and tries to mat down her hair and she's like okay i'm ready to give my closing argument now and then that's where it ends but then there is a mid-credit scene it, it kind of cuts back they're drunk uh jen and and 
and Bruce Hulk, they're, they're talking about some more Steve Rogers stuff. She's like, it's just so sad. You know, he did so much, you know, he, he gave so much of his life and, you know, and, you know, he did basically, he didn't get any sex or like, then Hulk's like, okay, there, there was this, you know, showgirl or whatever. And, and the, the, what's it called? The, I totally blank now the, 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 the shows that you give to the troops or whatever. And, and she's like, I knew it. And he's like, wait, you're not drunk. And she's like, no. And she's like, Captain America. And then it cuts so Steve, right. But the thing is like, and you know, Steve did Steve and, uh, uh, not Sh- Sharon. Yeah. Sharon Carter. I-, I don't know. So who knows? What's that even matter if, if Steve had sex or not? So that was, uh, the first episode. And like I said, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. So it wasn't really a lawyer show. I mean, there were a lot of aspects of it, but I, I did like, you know, we had a good origin, you know, they didn't dwell too much on it does seem it's a little different from the comics in the comics jen had to get a, i think there was a was there, there might have been a car accident or something and bruce gave her like a blood trans did a blood transfusion because they're the same type and whatever like that seems kind of crazy and risky or and kind of dumb that you wouldn't even think about that so at least this it was more of an accident the blood dripping in her wound that seems a little easy and convenient but then you know they did make the point that it's a super rare genetic you know, coincidence that, that they have, that they share, which allowed this to happen. So it's not like necessarily like, oh, anyone can use, you know, Hulk's blood and they'll turn into Hulk. Because like he, they even made a point where he like destroyed her her blood test samples where like, he's like, even if there's a millionth of a chance that, you know, someone else could turn into Hulk, you know, we got to be careful. And so I, I thought they handled it at all really well. So I, I did like it. I'm looking forward to the show. And the main thing is I, I love the character. And it just seems like a lot of fun. And that is exactly what I want. So it doesn't have to be like super groundbreaking or just epic journey, you know, superhero, whatever. I, I like that. It, and, you know, she doesn't want to be a superhero. Of course, obviously, like what happened at the end, stuff's going to force her to do it. But I, I do like that it's it's a little different. I, I think variety is good. And I cannot wait for the next episode. Speaking of next episodes, that is going to be the end of this episode so big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanformec. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. And we're currently talking about John Burns, Fantastic Four. So I, I did some earlier, like around like, uh, I think the last one was issue 100 or episode 100 of the secret podcast. Now we're back. Uh, talking about you know 1984, and uh, we're basically getting to like this Secret Wars part. So She-Hulk is going to be joining the team soon. So we'll probably you know look at some of those issues for the next few weeks, and then do something else. Sometimes talk about movies. Sometimes I do like my off my mind thing, which I only did once, and I'm not really sure people want more of that. So we'll see. So if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or three and that is ko-fi.com slash gman from heck so next week it's like it's so weird i know august doesn't normally have a lot of movies but there's usually something i know there's still bodies 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 
And that came out, I think it was not the last week, or was it this week? I was hesitant. You know, it's an A24 movie, and, and I, I hear it's, it's a good – A24 movies are, are really good. I just wasn't sure if it's a quote-unquote podcast movie because it's, it's kind of a comedy. It's kind of a like slasher, I, I think, or maybe it's, it's a little different since a lot of times A24 just pulls the rug out from under you. So I don't know if there's really interest enough in that. So we'll see. And uh, but yeah, next week there's nothing opening. There's there's no big releases. I'm, I'm trying to think what the next theatrical movies coming out. But there is going to be Samaritan, which is on, on Prime. You might do that again. My problem is it's a it's a Friday release, so you know trying to make sure I can watch that and record and everything. So I'm yeah, I'll have to make that work. So I, there's really nothing else, and I'm trying to think if there's any. Other shows, there's something coming out. No, Rick and Morty is in September. I feel like it's a Star Girl that's coming out on the 30th or something. I don't know. So we'll see. There's more stuff coming. Maybe is Samaritan this week. But you know, I'll probably, um, I'll, I'll probably, I'll, we'll, tr- we'll see how House of the Dragon goes. I'll watch it and see if I can talk about it or not. And we'll probably do the rest of Lock and Key. And uh, there's got to be something else. Who knows? I hope you are doing well. So I had a half a week of school. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It, it, you know, it's kind of nice when it's not the full week to just to ease back into it. It looks like it's going to be a really good year. You know, I, I have I have to say I have a really great group of kids. So it would like the first day of school was like no problem at all. And you know, part of it is because I've I've been teaching for so long. It, that's not an issue. You know, I the math i know the math you know forwards and backwards so that's not an issue it's you know it mainly the the hardships of teaching it's is dealing with the kids and it's also hard because i know kids aren't going to be like super gung-ho excited about math some of them are some of them you know you see that that glimmer there and it's it's super cool when you see that but it's been good and and um yeah, no one's really been complaining so far, you know, and it's also maybe because it's been kind of hot. So people, kids don't have the energy to complain, but I think it's going to be a good year, but it is, it is exhausting and tiring, you know, trying to do that and this, but we'll see. So I hope you are doing well. And again, whether if you've started school or about to start school, or if your kids are starting school, or if you're just another day at the same old, whatever, I hope everything is going well. I hope you're having an awesome time and I really hope you remember to be good to each other. 